Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 239th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands as should we all for the movement to end racial injustice and to fund police services in favor of more effective options. We're also super big into fair and free elections heading into this fall. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host this week, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Good Gathering. evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to some valuable information that we will share with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Busy, busy week in Magic the Gathering as oh, per usual, plenty to talk about as much as I hate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely some topics um speaking of topics we will start off this week with segment one our top mtgo metagame week in review um we will be looking at the pioneer challenge and the modern challenge from yesterday segment two our top paper movers cards james and i are not on soap i'm just getting ahead of myself top paper movers are cards that have moved the most in price over the court past week um, following that, the top MTGO movers, so cards that have moved the most on Moto. Segment three are paper cards to watch. Nine choices this week for stuff you might want to keep your eye on. Um, and I actually cut two. Might bring those back next week if I remember them. And uh, wrapping up with topic f- segment four, our topic of the week, uh, Secret Lair. Just got announced. Collaboration with The Walking Dead. All sorts of things to get into there. So let's get started here. Our MTGO metagame week in review. And right off the top here, I see that the Charbelcher, which is going by the name of Oops All Spells, I guess. That is... No, different... Oh, that's not the Charbelcher list. No, because this is Pioneer. No, there's... there's, Yeah, there's no Charbelcher in Pioneer, but they still managed to make this deck work. Two copies in the top eight very nasty looking lists and it's actually got me i've said this before on on this topic and i'll say it again it's possible the mythic flip lands are too strong Uh, i'm very curious to see what their pattern of play looks like a year out because right now we're still in the experimentation period they could see heavy play here and then fade out they could be hated out of various formats etc end up being more sporadically used in standard pioneer and modern and I think for sure they're going to see solid play in EDH. Or it could go the other way. They could be very, very dominant, showing up all over the place in a variety of different decks. And certainly just from the early results, uh, things look promising. So to take it from the top here on the Pioneer Challenge, we've got a a few other decks in the mix that are expected contenders. Black-White Auras took first place in the Pioneer Challenge on the 28th. Uh, Notable there uh, in terms of inclusion is four times 
uh, Bright Climb Pathway. That's the black-white flip land uh, being played in the Auras deck. Makes perfect sense there in Pioneer with their reduced access to duels. Um, this seems like the format that is going to make the best use of these lands so far. Esper Yorion control with a whole pile of fairies and two Yorion main decks. Something uh, I've noted in recent weeks is that uh, both Luris and Yorion seem to be making their way into the main deck and out of the sideboard um, where it makes sense. I think with the Esper Yorion, there's one in the board, two in the main, and in a lot of the Luris builds, they've they've gone away from any Luris in the board so that they have more flexibility about what they play in the main, and they're just running two main in, in various modern builds. Third place was an Omnath build that had three uh, three Mana Teferi, four Lotus Cobra, four Omnath, uh, three Felidar Retreat, and four Uro. Talk about a pile of specs in that deck. Yeah, sorry. I'm still reading this Oops All Spell section <laughs> trying to figure out how it works. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they get to use... They use Balistrad uh, Spy or Undercity Informer to basically put a huge chunk of their deck yeah. in their graveyard, right? But then, because they have World Spine Worms, that gets shuffled into their library, right. so they don't lose the game. And then they can they can trigger World Spine Worm uh, over and over again if they need to to put put it back on top of their library, so they never run out of cards in that situation. Correct? Uh, yeah. So World Spine Worm is obviously there to keep them so, keep them from decking themselves, and I guess your angle is like you said to dump. Do they have to hard cast Balustrade Spy to start this? Because I'm not seeing a reanimation strategy in terms of like there, there's no reanimation card. So it looks like they're trying to hit just a mass of Black Bloom Rogues, Haunted Dead, Prized Amalgam, Prize Silver Amalgam. Smoke Ghoul is their strategy for, for just dumping those onto the board. But they've got to do this faster than turn four. You've got Undercity Informer, but that's not going any faster than turn four either. Hmm. So they've got... They, they seem to... If you're looking for clues as to how long they want to set up, check out that they've got three Thought Erasure yeah. and four Thoughtseize. That is the hallmark of a deck that is looking to defend itself on turns yeah, one, two, and three, right? You, you, you're trying to make sure they don't have the right answer in yeah. the end. And then you're going to get either... Balustrade Spy or Undercity Informer because they mm-hmm. fulfill the same rule. Um, and honestly, I don't think the deck exists if you don't have all eight copies because you just wouldn't yeah, have the consistency. Yeah, you definitely need as many of those. I guess that's probably what it is then. A little clunky, but it's Pioneer, so what would be too clunky and modern seems fine here. Yeah, and they get to they get to give themselves a little bit of breathing room against aggro because they have the creeping chills in the deck because that only came out in Guilds of Ravnica. So that's the three mana drain effect. Um six point swings are are non trivial. And if they knock their whole uh deck into their graveyard, that can be a twelve twelve point swing. Oh right? yeah. Uh creeping chill is is great. I remember using that in the um the mill decks that i played uh this or no i i should i take that back i had stopped playing mill at this point but i remember when creeping shell came out i was like this will be good in the demir mill deck in modern and then people played it because yeah it's quite good they, they also get to use agadim's awakening if they happen to have one in hand to pull some creatures out of the graveyard yeah, if they the, need to. the long game um although although i would imagine that's uh 
not what they want to be doing. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because one of the, the keys here is they have no normal lands. So all of their lands, except the Mythics, come yeah. into play tapped. Because they have, like, 20 or 24, like, I think 20 flip cards here. 20 DFCs, because they've got Agadim's Awakening, Palaka Predation, that's 8, Seagate Restoration is 12, Bane, Viet Vale, Hagra Mauling, and Jawari Disruption, that's 24. So, and only the uh, Seagate Restorations and the Awakenings have the potential to come Yeah, so this is more likely, it's like a turn 4.5 deck, because you're probably hitting on turn 5 regularly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say if they just caught this what has been a relatively stilted pioneer meta off balance this week or what the story is. Um, very curious to see whether, you know, a depowered version of the modern oops, all spells can. I have difficulty format. believing that this is good enough uh, on a, on a regular basis. It, it is. It, it is worth noting that like three other combo decks got knocked out of this format recently. <laughs> and you'd probably see less of these in the top eight. If that was not the case. This is this is kind of like last combo right. standing. At this yeah, point. and I mean, this is a type of deck that is great one week because nobody knows what's going on with it and no one sideboarded for it. But then if it ever became reasonably popular, it, this is a very disruptible version, I think. Um, a, because it takes them so long to get going. B, they're going to fold to like Leyline of the Void and effects like that. Um, or any just really fast pressure. Four Thought Seizes and four... Palaka Predation, and even the four Clocks of Brutality, so 12 discard spells, like sometimes you're going to hit in the wrong order and just eat it to something simple. Actually, I missed the Black Bloom Rogues. That's uh, two more uh, DFC flips. So that's 26 total in the 6th place version. In the 7th place version, I think you could argue that this might be a little more heads up, because they have uh, the full 16 Mythic DFC flips. So Agadim's Seagate Restoration, Shatter Skull Smashing, even though they don't play red, and Turn Timber Symbiosis, um, so that way more of their lands come into play untapped. In fact, double as much. Hmm. So, interesting. Uh, I'm not buying anything at the moment, but... Well, we'll we'll get to that when we... a little deeper in the cast, but... Yeah, the Omnath deck translating from standard to pioneer and then getting to add things like three mana to fairy uh <laughs> doesn't surprise me too much there's a lot of power there mono black aggro this is the rankle build not the vampire build in fourth uh pretty straightforward stuff demir control in fifth four shark, shark typhoon and then 26 uh kill and counter spells the oops all spells were sixth and seventh as we said and then eldritch winota uh, was the other deck of note. Uh, Winota, joiner of forces from Ikoria, being the notable mythic there as a four of. Four Lotus Cobra in this build as well. So it looks like Lotus Cobra in Standard and Pioneer is uh, is looking like a, a lock. Um, multiple decks fooling around with it. Five Pathways in this deck as well. Two Branch Loft, that's the green-white one, and three Crag Crown, that's the green-red one. I'm not surprised at all to see Lotus Cobra here in Pioneer. Um, Lotus Cobra is a very potent card that was always just on the edge in Modern, but the bar is a lot lower in Pioneer, so. Actually, I got got that wrong, too. It's not five pathways, it's seven. They've got Needle Verge as well, which is the red-white one. And interestingly enough, they don't run Fabled Passage. 
They're not even trying. They're not. They're not even running the fetch that's available for Lotus Cobra. Um, well, let's see. Fabled Passage. Yeah, that does require basics, which some basics, and they're not running with. any. I have to. There's no way this mana base is right. I refuse to believe this is correct. It's weird, right? Because and none of the. It's not like a bunch of the creatures have our land fetching cards or anything. This is na- This is a minor league ramp deck that ramps into the the appeal here is for lotus cobra is that it's a two drop that makes it easy to cast your winota next turn on turn three or allows you to eldritch into winota it's fixing more than pretty much um but even still and and it's also a non it's also a non-human to attack and trigger uh, Winota. Oh yeah, because it requires a non-human to attack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything on her low end is, you know, Legion War Boss, which is a Goblin Soldier, Llanowar Elves, which is an Elf Druid, Lotus Cobra, which is a Snake. This is all the stuff to go then pull out Angrath's Marauders, seven mana, four four. If a source you control would deal damage to a permanent, double it. So you got a little Furnace of Wrath on a stick there that you can pull out when Lotus Cobra attacks with Minota yeah. on the board. Still not sure. Still don't agree that that mana base is correct, but... Alright, so moving on over to the Modern Challenge from September 28th. That first deck, pretty hot stuff. First place was a Rakdos Shadow build. That's not a combination I recall seeing before. This is four Death Shadow, four Monastery Swift Spear four Scourge of the Skyclaves, and four Soulscar Mage. So you take the, the eight best red creatures from the Prowess deck, and you mix them with Death Shadow and the new Death Shadow, Scourge of the Skyclaves, which is uh, easily my choice for uh, pull-away constructed mythic that isn't a DFC flip. Agadim's Awakening, making its way into this build as well, is a one-of. Two Crash Through, four Thoughtseize, four Mishra's Bobble, two Apostles' Blessing, two Dismember, four Lava Dollar dart for lightning bolt to mutagenic growth to teamer battle rage so basically a pile of free spells designed to get your life total nice and low and keep in mind that scourge of the skyclaves is a one and a black for an xx when you cast the spell if it was kicked each player loses half their life rounded up and the kicker is four and a black scourge of the skyclaves power and toughness are each equal to 20 minus the highest life total among players hmm So if the highest life total among players is 16, then it is a 4-4 four, four for 2. I mean, that's good. So it makes perfect sense here, because your total's always going to be low, because you're playing a Death Shadow build. And if they're using uh, Shocklands and so forth, they might get themselves down to anywhere from 15 to 18 in the first couple turns. And... This thing starts providing a serious Tarmogoyfy like like clock that has upside synergies in the late game if you can kick it. Yeah, I I would imagine that this is rarely kicked. That it is probably attempted to be played as the second Death Shadow is my expectation. Just yeah. because that deck does so much work to play Death Shadow and getting a, a variant, a second version of it seems so good for it. Also worth noting here, this is a Lurus deck. Lurus in the sideboard, so they have a companion. 
and they can bring the scourges and the swift spears and the soul scar mages and the death shadows back from the graveyard over and over again with Luris. And then they, if they need to, they can use Agonim's Awakening to bring back the Luris and start it all over again if they've been facing a pile mm-hmm. of removal. Yeah, these decks have always been good at that, especially with the Luris and the sideboard. And this one, it's got the four Thoughtseize. Uh, mostly just the Thoughtseize, it looks like, for disruption, but they're pretty good. I remember these decks being pretty good at picking apart your hand in the past. A little lighter on at this time. Still, um, mm-hmm. Scourge of the Skyclaves is Death Shadows 5 through 8 seems viable for sure and as a mythic looking looking real good so second place is a more traditional looking jund shadow build uh has a shape and form much like what we would have seen six months ago four death shadow a grim flayer four street wraith and a tarmogoyf Luris is out of the sideboard and into the main because you want to run your street wraith still uh, but you do want to have that recursive ability on your shadows. I would imagine this Jund version is just somebody who who is good with this version, but hasn't started experimenting with Scourge of the Skyclave yet. Could be. Wanted to see somebody else do it first. Or they just haven't got there. Like, this is week one. So, I mean, them running Grim Flayers over Scourges doesn't mm-hmm. sound right to me. Uh, moving right along, you've got Blue White Spirits in third. The thing that jumps out at me there is Skyclave Apparition making an appearance as a four of. This is the 2-2 uh, for three core spirit. When it comes into play, you can exile up to one target non-land, non-token permanent. You don't control with converted mana cost four or less, and when they eventually kill it, the opponent gets back an XX Blue Illusion creature token where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. Hmm. Uh, seeing this pop up all over the place so moving on to fourth place we have amulet titan this is uh, notably running three castle garenbrig four dryad of the elysian grove uh, and three times turn timber symbiosis so yet another deck running some flip mythic dfcs uh, this time over in modern Fifth place was green-white hardened scales, and the most noticeable addition here is four Conclave Mentor uh, out of Core 21 this summer. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on a creature you control, that put that many plus, sorry, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on that creature instead, so you get a bonus counter. Um, so it gives you additional hardened scales style action, and when it dies, you gain life equal to its power. That's plant. Uh, I could see these. It's a it's a Somerset uncommon foil. Plenty of them around right now, but I bet you if you check back in eighteen months, these are going to be pushing ten. Yeah, that $12. could be good. This is a um, a Selesnya version of uh, what was that snake whose name I can't remember. Yeah, yeah winding, winding constrictor. constrictor. Winding constrictor. Yeah, this makes means they don't have to dip into black. Um, which is useful because they then get to run Heliod Suncrowned alongside Walking Ballista. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which was a combo that was banned out of Pioneer, but is still viable in Modern. That's, uh, that's good stuff. Ban- banned in one format, still legal in the other one. Yep. So sixth place is a Green Tron list, pretty standard stuff. Two Golos Tireless Pilgrim probably being the spiciest stuff in the main there. Uh, seven, it's got a Gengatha, Gigantha, the Wellspring in the sideboard, so they also have their own companion. Companion's definitely not dead. 
Seventh place in in the modern was the green red charbelcher list that you were uh, referring to earlier. This one's pretty spicy. Tons of flip cards, tangled florahedrons, uh, spike field hazards, valakut awakening, turn timber symbiosis, and shatter skull smashing. So eight of the mythics. Uh, Recross the pass, which spiked recently, has now proven itself in the format. So that spike. Uh, Looks pretty solid if you believe people will ever pay, play paper again. Because uh, I don't think they're going to be reprinting that anytime soon. Iron Craig Feet out of Throne of Eldraine. Foil Extended Arts uh, under a little bit of pressure from this deck as well. This is the, for four mana, you get to add seven red. And you can only ca- you can cast only one more spell after you cast it. And then it's got four Balaged Recovery as well as a flip land that also serves as an over-costed regrowth. And the idea here is that you get a Charred Belcher on the table, activate it, you don't have any lands in your deck, so you do enough damage to kill your opponent instantly. The getting the play uh, defense grids here is is pretty nasty. And in modern, too, that's that's new. I remember playing defense grid in Legacy. Uh, I mean, I guess defense grid has been legal in modern for a long time really since the format's inception but it's never been correct to play it it's interesting to me now that it might be it seems to be a reaction to a bunch of the decks in modern that want to cast a whole bunch of spells quickly uh yeah it's typically i mean i we i used to play it as a essentially a a preemptive counter spell um because it, it doesn't prevent people from casting a bunch of spells on their turn. It just makes it hard to cast stuff on your turn. And since Charbelcher is just trying to play a solo game, they're just like, look, you're, I'm going to play this on turn two. And if you're banking on, like, remanding my Charbelcher, uh, now you have to remand the defense grid instead and then still have the mana up for Charbelcher next time. Sure. And if you want to thought seize me, you're going to have to take off your whole turn to yeah, do it. Well, yeah, yeah. You can still, well, you can still thought seize the defense grid away, but yes, it just, it's one more layer to get in the way. Uh, and for a deck that's, you know, probably has not run, not running. Yeah. And has probably realistically has slots to dedicate to this type of thing. Cause you're trying to find ways to protect your combo that don't require they have to work within the weird framework of your combo, which in this case is like no actual lands. Um, it gives you a tool. I like it. It's just cool, cool to see. I've always been surprised there isn't more defense grid in modern. Yeah, it's also cute that they have Undercity Informer and Thassa's Oracle in the sideboard to give them an alternate mm-hmm. game plan. And a collected company. Which is... I guess very odd. It's got to be, but yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm not even going to guess. I'm not clear. I'm not clear if are you just trying one. It's the one collected company too, which is kind of funny to get, to go get those two. I suppose. Do you, oh, cause uh, recross the paths lets you stack your deck however you want. Right. I think that's how that's supposed to work. You can order your deck. And then you so yeah. you order your deck and you put Thassa's Oracle and Undercity Informer like in the top five or whatever, and then you collect the company, both of them in the play. And then <laughs> yeah. oh, exactly. Undercity Informer and Resolve mm-hmm. Thassa's Oracle's trigger after that. So there you go. That's what they're doing. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, uh, this 
this whole no lands plan suddenly much much more viable with all these flip lands flip land mm-hmm. slash spells so don't see see this fading out all over the place some some of the opportunities will probably fade away others are probably going to get reinforced and get better as they figure out what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to fit into the meta um definitely keeping a, a tight watch on this this series of developments eighth place was neo brand uh combo so this is like chancellors of the tangles and allosaurus riders uh hype specs of two years ago moving right along yeah uh well we will yeah okay i have some thoughts but i can save them for a couple minutes uh so let's move on to segment two our top paper movers First card of the week, uh, Tybalt the Fiend-Blooded out of the Secret Lair? Yeah, the April Fool's Secret Lair. People weren't even sure it was actually ever going to get made. They made a white-bordered Tybalt. Is he white or silver? Which White. White. And it's now over $100. Sure. <laughs> this is like buying foil 7th edition yeah. Stormcrows. I mean... But like taking it, taking right, it to the next level. Sure, that's where you want to go with this. More power to you guys. Uh, I don't really like the meme cards as a target, but yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I I would never buy a card for amusement value like that like for meme value. But I think that just probably makes and me a hundred dollars too. Yeah, there's no way. Um, Omnath Locus of Mana, one of the many Omnaths that Jason and many others called out as likely to move, given that we were headed back to Zendikar, and given that we got the four mana Omnath that we were all expecting, um, the other Omnaths have moved accordingly. So the non-foil Omnath Locus of Mana at a world weight going from 28 to 40, that's a 42% gain. Omnath, four-color Omnath is the top EDH commander, and the other Omnaths typically slot in there, so... Yeah. No big surprise. Eldrazi Temple foils out of Rise of Eldrazi 30 to 45. Uh, I haven't seen a foil reprint since uh, Modern Masters 2017. So three years on without a reprint, and this is the original Eldrazi Temple. Um, There was no masterpiece for this, at least not yet. Pretty pricey, uh, all things considered. I would be in the market to ship these i would have been in the market to ship them at 30 i'm still in the market to ship them at 45 um i don't know exactly where you'll see it show up again but mm, not really not looking to get 60 dollars out of foil i mean this was a rare but even still no uh, it was an uncommon in modern masters 2017 and rise of all draw 2015 and rise of all draws was a rare so yeah, so five years since we've yeah, had foils of this three. card. And and El, and Eldrazi Tron variants have existed in the format pretty much that entire time. Um, it was also, the card was also printed in dual deck Zendikar versus Eldrazi, and then it's part of the list that you can get in Zendikar Rising set boosters, but as a non-foil mm-hmm. only. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, I, I'd be shipping these guys. I don't think this is a game you really want to play. And I think the most likely place for this to show up again so far in 2021 would be a secret layer or Modern Horizons 2. This right. could be a reprint. Yeah, Modern Horizons 2, is that is that confirmed for next year? Okay. 
Yes. So yeah, that is uh, something I would be concerned about for sure. Yeah. So you've got some time here. No one's really playing paper. I don't think you have to. You don't need to get top dollar. You should also remember that Modern Masters 2015 foils are generally inferior. So you will typically get a premium on the originals. But even the 2015s, there's basically none left. There's six copies near mint for sale currently on TCG Player. 17, 6, 17, and 30 for the last four. So time to pull these out of my binder and mm-hmm. get them up for sale. Uh, yes, I would agree with you. <laughs> Speaking of cards that haven't been reprinted lately, Archive Trap. When was the last time that was reprinted? Never? Never? Yeah, so only one printing in Zendikar. Uh, never made its way into a commander deck or anything else. 16 to $25 on the back of Mill getting better now that they have eight crabs yeah. instead of four. Yeah, that second uh, Hermit not uh, Hermit Crab was Hedron Crab. Hedron Crab. You. I knew that was wrong. It was, uh, it was good news for that. Yep. Uh, next on the list, we got Snow-Covered Plains out of the Secret Layer from the Winter. Uh, going from 11 to 17, these are drying up to basically nothing. This is a perfect example of a secret layer that nobody liked or didn't realize up front they would care to own. And then later, because vendors didn't go very deep on them, thinking that they weren't going to get anywhere, they end up being the ones that make the most money because <laughs> nobody has any inventory, so you can just mm-hmm. charge whatever. As the you know collectors eventually figure out that they need to add them to their, their yeah collections. another odd one and you know we've talked about how we're not really wild about lands as a spec anymore like basic lands and this is like halfway there because it's it is a basic land but it's a snow covered land so the math is different than trying to just get cool looking basics which there are a million of these days. Um, one of our members wanted us to call this out as one of the picks tonight, but there's only six listings left on TCG, and they're basically $10, $10, $10, two at 15 one at 45 and somebody is ambitiously going for $420.69. Sure. Just as might, might, as, it's as real as anything else. Uh, you, might as, you might as well chomp off the $10 copies, because where else are they coming from? The art is lovely. There is a chance that we're getting snow-covered stuff in Kaldheim. I haven't heard any definite rumors on that, but it seems very possible given that uh, we're headed to a Viking-themed plane. Um, if you're going to put snow anywhere, yeah, that would be place. Yeah, also releases in uh, January, February, so. Yep, not too well, far away, I meant, months. It's topical. It's seasonally yep. appropriate. Uh, so yep. I, I would agree, and like I would be concerned that they were going to do some cool snow-covered basics in Kaldheim that will kind of eat away a lot of the demand for this. Not to say that it would plummet in price, but it would definitely pull some of the attention away from it. Sure. So next we have Omnath Locus of the Royal. Uh, going from non-foils going from seven to $12. This is also related to Omnath uh, being the biggest thing going on in Commander right now. And I'm pretty sure that Backaways, one of us called, I mean, you called Omnath Locus of Rage at one point, and I feel like I must have called Locus of the Royal Foils somewhere back in the last two or three yeah, months. Yeah, I was saying, I knew I, talk, I talked uh, about one of them. Yeah, I mean, bottom line, we were talking about these midsummer once we knew Zendikar was on the horizon, that the, the foils were going to get there. 
And indeed, Omnath, Locus of the Royal Foils, are sitting at... Must, can't be any left after this week. Let's see. Locus of the Royal Core set, of course. You've got copies at 29 listings left, basically between 20 and 25. I think all of those are a buy because zero chance this catches a foil reprint before those get yeah, to the Yeah, not report. anytime soon. Uh, not with the products right. we know about, anyway. Right. Uh, Scourge of the Skyclaves out of Zendikar Rising, the aforementioned companion to Death Shadow, going from $9 to 17 as people with early pre-orders got rewarded um, for believing in the card. I, it's tricky, though. I was talking about on... Posted a thing on Twitter today saying, I'm very curious, which is my way of saying, I don't have mm-hmm. any idea what the prices are going to be of the top 10 mythics in this set two years out. Because there's 20 mythics in the set, not 15. Five of them are the, the double face cards that show up in the showcase slot, the regular boosters. 15 of the 20, 16 of the 20 are arguably at least great EDH cards and have constructed applications, cube applications, etc. elsewhere. But you've also got, in regular booster boxes and set booster boxes, a a non-foil expedition to contend with, which is hoovering up tons of EV. And then over in the um, collector booster boxes, you got two of those, plus anywhere from one to five foil expeditions. Somebody cracked a collector booster box this week on camera that had five foil expeditions in it. Um, <laughs> hard to believe anything in a box like that could be worth anything. When just the expeditions alone are going to average minimum 60 to $80 worth of value. And really, on average, probably closer to 100 to 120 if you get two of each. Yeah, this is messy. The math on this... The math on this just sucks. Like try, trying to Super figure tough. out what is going to happen here. Um, I would estimate that your best bet <clears throat> is probably to just, I'm going to say stay away, even though it's highly likely I will end up picking some stupid card from the set in less than a year. Stay away for a year um, until roughly the print runs are over and supplies supply is what it is essentially uh if we're talking about regular copies of things then i think there's definitely some wisdom to be tapped there on the basis that so many of these mythics are good that picking one to run with right now like say skirt of the skyclaves requires that that deck stays present in modern people actually get to play some modern or maybe it sees significant play in Commander at minimum, or whatever, and it ekes out a higher play pattern than the other Mythics and wins out over them and maintains a price over $10. But they can't. you can't have 16 Mythics worth $20 plus in a set with Expeditions. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Now, on the other hand, I think almost any of the foil extended art mythics that are 15 to 20 dollars are you just go ahead and grab them whenever you see them even if that doesn't end up being the lowest they ever get the collector boosters are not reprinted throughout the year 
So even if you believe they printed 40% more of the Zendikar ones in anticipation of people wanting the expeditions, keep in mind that we're facing a massive supply crunch. Supply does not is not nearly as much of a race to the bottom this week as it should be, given that we're in release week. That will get caught up in subsequent waves, but there's that doesn't mean they're printing even more of it. It just means that we will eventually see it filter into the market. That will drive some prices down, for sure. But it can't do it for all that long. And the thing is, we're now, you know, we're not evaluating Eldraine in September of 2019 anymore. We're evaluating Zendikar Rising a year after the advent of Extended Arts. And I made a bunch of posts in the Discord this week for the Pro Traders taking a look at the, the prices of the best foil Extended Art Mythics and Rares. They are very good performers. Like if you're looking at things like Nyx Bloom Ancient and uh, the Great Henge, Thassa's Oracle, um, Dryad of the Elysian Groves, and so on and so forth, we have enough evidence now to know that foil extended art mythics and to a lesser extent the rares can dry up in about a year mm-hmm. if they see a significant amount of play so there's a reason that i'm calling out a foil flip mythic in a few minutes and i'll talk about it a <laughs> so, little bit more then. was this all preemptive because you heard me complain that i didn't i think you should stay away from this set and then you have it in your cards to watch in 10 minutes well i, well, I just think that i think you're right but I think it's more on the non-foil side. You with, with extended art foils, if they're good, we've seen you can't stay away that long. The market will have already cleaned it out by the time you make a decision. So you could wait. Like I think it's, it's not unreasonable to say, I'm not going to try to open a position on those for another four weeks because I want the rest of the collector boosters to land and push prices down. That's very reasonable. There's, you know, there's you might miss it on some opportunities that way, but you could easily just end up getting things 20% cheaper than I will on my initial positions. But I think with the, I'm much more on board with waiting longer if we're talking about just a regular mythic, because the regular mythics just just can't like on average. If you're going to open, and especially since the drop rate on the mythics is a little higher now, it's not uh, one every eight packs; it's one out of every seven point four as of this set. So, and the set boosters add more rares and mythics overall. That's kind of their whole point. So, you know, your average mythic cannot be fifteen dollars plus. Your 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 average mythic in the set has to come down. Yeah, I yeah I agree with you. I the you know the 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 rarer the treatment, the the more aggressive you can be with your purchase. Um, but it's. Yeah, the 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 changing of the math every set does make this obnoxious to keep up with. You really, really, if if you're not sitting down and crunching all the numbers and trying to build an EV per pack and all this, um, if you're not going to that depth, then I think the best sort of rule of thumb advice I could give is to just watch the stock and the prices. If there's a card you're interested in, check the inventory level on like TCG and maybe another major vendor or two. See what the price looks like and check it every day. And you will notice a trend um, if you keep up on it. So if there's a card you like, watch it for a week and that'll give you a feel for it. And it, that saves you the effort of having to like figure it out or so to say. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even sure you need to look at it that often given how little paper plays 
is getting is actually taking place in North America. If you're in a world of Star City Games tournaments every Saturday, then checking in on your spec at you know the Saturday morning as fresh decks appear on camera was always a thing. But in you know at this point, it's really more about EDH slowly who you know figuring out what the best cards are. I I noted on cast last week that when we were talking to Jason that I didn't think the EDH rec stats from this week look anything like what they're going to look like for this set in a year. Because I think people are excited about Omnath and some of the other flashy things, but are going to end up making much greater use of a lot of the uh, role players that fit into a ton more decks. And I think, you know, so for instance, I think the flip mythic DFCs are all going to outpace Omnath by well, a year out because we got 70 more commanders coming in commander legends you're going to get another five or so in every set after that and a year from now omnath could still easily be in the top 10 commanders of the year but people will eventually get bored of fooling around with that deck whereas some of these flip mythic lands are just going to get put in every black deck every green deck every red deck and it won't be 100 percent. it'll be like 18 percent or something but that'll be enough to outpace and end up with those being, you know, 10,000 decks reported, whereas Omnath is sitting at 3,600. Did Jason say that he thought that Omnath would be worth more than the lands? No, I don't think so. I think he was just saying he re- he re- he doesn't predict the data. He responds. Mm-hmm. He reacts to it. I, I think that making the claim that the commander will do better than, you know, a land of that nature is... Um, not in a position I would want to really be in. God, I hope nobody goes back and plays the tape. And this is exactly what I did. I don't remember. But like commanders can only sell so many copies. You can only have, you're only going to have one Omnath deck, even if he is a very popular commander. But you might put that mythic land in three of your six green decks. Well, I mean, it is worth noting that Omnath, just as a card, it has been reported in 400 decks so far. Um. So as a commander, it's 180 decks. And as a card, uh, I'm just trying to get that to load. I'm sure he'll be, He's. I, I'm actually a little surprised he's as high as 400, to be honest, especially because he's four colors. Yeah, I can't, can't pull up the data right now. But basically what I'm saying is that four and five color decks will find reason to run Omnath in their yeah. main anyway. Because his abilities are just generally useful, and he's a high power card. So it's not like some. There are commanders where, like, nobody runs Atraxa in other things. You're either running Brea and Atraxa in your decks, or you're not. But very, I can't remember ever seeing them pop up in the '99 across the table from me. Uh, Omnath will have some of that play, but I don't think it's going to come close to outpacing some of these flip duels. Also worth noting that uh, Command Zone. Uh, Jimmy and Josh put out a video today that was all about the flip DFCs from this set, and their verdict was basically the same thing, that these are going to get played all over the place, tons of different applications, and because there's a bunch of weird interactions where anytime you can play one of these out of your graveyard as opposed to cast, you can take you can do a bunch of abusive stuff. So you can cast the spell side 
um, or get the land into play, sack the land, have it end up in your graveyard. You have a Crucible of Worlds, even though the land is the backside, Crucible still sees it as a land and lets you play it out as a land. Then maybe you have a way to bounce it back to your hand and cast it as a spell again. Like, <laughs> there are some pretty nasty value chains down that road. And that's not going to get... That's not going to get worse over time. That's only going to get more combo pieces and more opportunities to yeah, do such nasty a weird stuff. Rules interaction, um, the way that plays out. Yeah, and, and Crucible has been under a lot of pressure as a result because Crucible was already a card to be targeted ahead of Zendikar Rising, given that given that it's a lands matter set. But now that we understand the interaction with the DFCs better, Crucible is just going to be so many decks. Like it's already in so many decks. But now there's even more reasons where you should in a lot of cases just have a crucible in your deck even if your deck isn't a lands matters deck you can find reason to run it like i run crucible in both brea and atraxa because there's just so many other things going on in those decks that can make use of it yeah. oh you can get you just start doing strip mine loops or yeah whatever. it's hard for that card to be wrong basically yeah somebody gets rid of your maze of it you bring it back etc now you've got a whole bunch of spells you can cast you know like the the one that lets you regrowth for three then that lands in your graveyard as a land and you crucible it back as a land. Like <laughs> that's not, it's going to be hard to go wrong with stuff like that. Yep. Crucible is real good. As anyone who's played with that so, card so here's, tell you. Circling back on my point about the value of mythics in Zendikar Rising, they're currently at $11 a mythic across 20. If you compare that to Ikoria, which is six months out from release, that's $4.84 on average so the ikoria mythics have a ways to come down and that supports your earlier point about kick back and wait and see what happens okay and 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 ikoria has the godzilla cards to contend with but those are not quite on the same level as the expeditions (laughs) um and you also didn't get as many of them I cracked a lot of Japanese Ikoria, which has a higher drop rate for the Godzilla cards, the special versions. And you you could get, say, Foil Ghidorah in your box topper and then get another Foil Rare or Mythic in somewhere in the box. That's still not as good as getting an Expedition in a regular booster box or two Expeditions and two uh, Foil, two, three, four Foil Expeditions in a Collector Booster. So... If anything, the average mythic should get pushed even lower than with Ikoria. I now you're making me look up. Uh, oh, does it say? Foil Space Godzilla Death Corona is only twelve dollars right now. Yeah, and people were exiting on those at were, what two hundred? Did they the actually sell them for that price? Oh yeah. Somewhere between 100 and 200 for sure. Copies definitely changed hands because people were like, oh, because of COVID, it's going to be the, the most crazy collectible yeah. of all time. Very quick. Thing is, it's yeah. an uncommon. That's yeah, the part they missed. sure I remember saying they were dumb then, and I still think they're dumb. But uh, yeah, they're 11 bucks right now. And there's 130 results for that card, so. Yeah. So the expeditions themselves in non-foil are averaging somewhere around, I haven't run the most recent numbers, but I think it's in the $30 to $40 range, if I'm not mistaken. 
So right there, you're chewing up out of, a say, a $90 box, you're chewing up $40 worth of value. You've got $50 worth of EV to spread out over the rest of the box. And you're going to pull a Mythic at less than once every eight packs out of a 36-pack box. So you're going to get like four and a half Mythics. So how much can they be worth? And then pushing that down the chain, can any uncommon or rare be worth anything in this set? Not anytime soon. Yeah. So... <laughs> It just reinforces the the play we've been making all year, which is going after the the key extended arts. They they look very very good. Wizards, yes, is in a big mood to reprint stuff left, right, and center. But they've only reprinted one extended art, Fabled Passage, and Fabled Passage ended up being a spec last week because it's hollowing out at twenty bucks, and they're it it looks like the market can absorb foil extended art Fabled Passages twice in a year, and that was a rare. So there's basically no risk on any of these good foil extended arts because there's no mechanism in the current product mix to reprint these any more frequently than we've seen so far. You know, if one, two, or three of them per year catch a reprint because they decide they want them to be standard staples, so be it. That's not going to be the end of the world. And most of the time, that's not going to be the case because a lot of the cards that are worth going after are going worth going after because they have constructed slash EDH applications and may have no home in, in standard. Or the standard portion of it may be irrelevant because we're in the COVID era. So I only, I'm only feeling more and more confident about premium magic in general and about extended art foils. It does seem like the ultra premium stuff is a lot more bulletproof than we might've anticipated, you know, two years ago. And if, you know, the question was how much of this can the market bear? I think we probably would have answered lower than what we would say now. Yep. I agree. Um, there's some very interesting stuff to talk about on that front as we get into paper cards to watch, but I guess first we better finish up these uh, paper movers. We got uh, Setan, Setan or Setans? I'm not sure. Cross and Protector. Vegan, it's Setan. At, Say, no, Satan. At, it's Satan. That's how you pronounce it. No, it's no the, not Satan. the vegan food, uh, S E I T A N, is pronounced Satan. Oh, okay. Sure. So, out of Odyssey foils, uh, 75 to 160. I'm pretty sure I sold one of these around somewhere between 60 and 80 in the last couple of years and felt very proud of myself. And now there's just basically none left. It hasn't caught a reprint anywhere. And it's an auto-include if you're building Druids for EH. Yeah, for the, the two of you a year. Uh, Diamond Valley out of Arabian Nights, 300 to 650. Whew. It's a nice jump. That's... When you see something like that, though, you got to put put the brakes on and go poke around on Facebook and eBay and whatever and see how real the prices are. Because once was big ticket reserve life stuff hollows out on TCG, now you are very susceptible to price manipulation optics, and it's time to go see what they're actually yeah, selling for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that's always the case with these. But I will say this is actually a good card um, in da- in EDH decks that can make use of this it is quite useful uh and i ran it in i don't remember which deck i ran it in but i liked it for sure so it's it's a playable reserve list card um so or you know if it was 300 yesterday or, or can you get 654 today probably not especially because whenever you have stuff like that it encourages a couple more people to go dig copies out of their binder but i'll tell you three months from now this might end up closer to 650 than 300 yeah, I mean, I, I believe that I don't believe it's going to retrace to three hundred, 
I think you take the you'd make the six fifty your maybe reference point for negotiation. And then you take a look over on eBay and I see that there's an eight point five graded version for four seventy six plus eight dollar mm. shipping. So that's then going to turn into me trying to get a copy for say four hundred to four twenty five or something. And there may or may not be opportunities like that hanging around on Facebook right now. You gotta dig into the high end group and see what people are actually changing hands right, on them for. Right. Yeah, definitely do your homework for the moment. But I think I think Diamond Valley specifically is better positioned than some of the other cards that have reserveless cards that have floated across our desk. I'm taking a slow bleed sale approach with all this mid to high tier reserve list stuff. Somebody made a like very reasonable offer on my Mox Jet last week here in Toronto, and but it was more of a like vendor price offer plus maybe ten percent, and I was just like, nope. <laughs> I, I I'm looking for retail minus ten percent, not vendor right. plus ten percent. Thanks. No rush whatsoever to let go of a near not mint the, Mox. The good numbers. I was just I mean. If you need the money, you need the money. But if you don't need the money, then the question is, where are you going to repurpose it? And is it going to outpace the mocks? And I mean, the answer is probably, but giving up a mox when I could just, you know, if I needed 3000 to put into something, I could get it from any other part of my portfolio of magic cards that isn't a mox. And there's, feel there's a mental it. weight to get to selling a mox or power that unless you're a vendor who deals with this stuff all the time feels bad. And there's also a uh, ease of overhead that you lose too, because managing one three thousand dollar card that gains a little slow compared to twenty hundred and fifty dollar cards that might gain faster is like, uh, yeah, this doesn't gain as much percentage, but it's a heck of a lot easier to manage. So here's here's a demonstration of a methodology by which you can leverage those kind of assets if you want to. Think about, let's say I acquired that Mox in the winter as a buy list trophy. Call its value 3000 or whatever. Okay, it's 3000 Now, some guy is going to offer you 2200 on that. That's a reasonable price. You know, you can negotiate up, up or down a couple hundred bucks or whatever, and depending on whether it's actually near mint or actually SP, or maybe it's got a scratch and it's closer to MP... You know, you're going to come through a negotiation, but you're going to lose some value off retail. So you might have buy listed, you know, you put in 1500 worth of cards. You think you doubled up on your buy list, but you're only going to get 2200 out of it. So really, you could have taken the cash on the buy list and been pretty much the same position as you end up in, in that series of operations. Or you could take that mocks and put out feelers to say, I will take, here's a short list of cards. 20 cards that are worth 100 to 300 that I think are going to go up more than this Mox is. And I will take 3,600 in trade value and give you this Mox. And somebody will probably cough that up. Like, that's the kind of deal I could probably get done in, in the Pro Trader Discord in a day. Yeah, I mean... I... Right, where, for instance, like last January, when you could get Soul Ring Masterpieces for 300, you could have said, yeah, if anybody's got 10 Soul Ring Masterpieces... 12 soul ring masterpieces i'm going to value that at 3600 and i'll trade you this mox for it and if they happen to have them lying around they might have done it and if you were smart about what you chose in terms of your the cards you were exiting into those soul rings are now worth closer to four to five hundred that's sweet 
But you've got to be careful about what you do. Yeah, I mean, you're just rolling a spec over into a spec. Uh, but I, I agree that that's a useful way to go about it as you can approach groups of players and say, you know, I've got this valuable, very valuable card and I will take a chunk of mildly, you know, reasonably valuable cards in exchange for it. I think that's a, a, a decent play. Um, and you can do that with stuff that's 500 too. And, you know, I've got this card that's, you know, a Diamond Valley. I want 450 for it. You trade me any, you know, the exact same concept. Just, you know, take a zero off of both sides of the trade. Um, it, it is a nice way to Yeah, because it's actually it. pretty tough to find somebody with 12 Masterpiece Soul Rings. Yeah. But you might be able to find a guy who has a Soul Ring, a Mana Crypt, a Staff of Domination, a Diamond Valley, an Elephant Graveyard, and... Uh, library of alexandria or something and he's willing to yeah. trade into the mox yeah 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 you could go go to people and say i will take um you know five you know for this for this diamond valley i'll take five hundred dollars in masterpieces your choice which sure. would be probably fine all right so moving along we've got goblin charbelcher aforementioned uh, foils from ema that's the last time we saw it and it's never had another foil except yeah. mirrodin uh, $3 to $9. That's probably got some legs. I can see those pushing 20 in a hurry here, um, as we will talk about shortly. Thieves Guild Enforcer Foils out of Core 21. Uh, $1.50 to $5. That's on the back of Rogues being a thing in Standard and EDH. Krovax the Cursed is our reserve list nonsense of the week. $1.50 to 14 800% gains. Yeah, that's silliness, but at least it's a vampire, and we're heading into a year full of vampires, so maybe you'll exit some at 6 to $8. Yeah, I, I like the other Krovax more, but whatever. And then uh, Top Gainer of the Week, Undercity and Former Foils out of Gatecrash, $1.25 to $16, $1,100, almost 1,200% gains. Oops All Spells Revival in Modern is driving that one, and actually Modern and Pioneer. Mm-hmm. So those foils probably hold steady. That's not a card I see Wizards having any interest in reprinting. Yeah, I mean, that's weird because now that the cat's out of the bag on that, like it's been printed, it's out there, and it's not really going to mess with a standard format most likely. Like you'd have to have a really weird standard for this to be good. That there's probably not a lot of risk to putting it into a standard set or any other reprint set. It's probably fine because it's, I, I could see i think a variant on it is more it might be more likely although they could be worried that they've already got two variants and that giving them 12 copies of the well, card is even go. worse is but he... but the thing is well the thing is but Undercity informer is a very specific name that probably doesn't make sense in Kaldheim uh... because for instance viking viking villages don't have an I undercity mean... so you're probably not going to include it there Kaldheim, no i think you could squeeze Undercity informer into a lot of different space but, but the thing is as an obscure uncommon from it's whatever deck there's no way it was on their radar as a need so there's no way we're going to see it in 2021 and who knows if it's in 2022 2023 2024 this could be one of those foil uncommons that ends up being 30 bucks and sits uh, there forever. i agree with that i think that it's if it shows up in it's unlikely to show up in 2020 that seems would be very surprising 2021 is a passing possibility depending on the set mechanics they have in a couple different places but it wouldn't be because they wanted to reprint this to keep the price in check it'd be because they did it it just happened to fit in that set 
you know, uh, by coincidence. Besides, we're talking about the foil prices here. I mean, what's the non-foil? Twenty-five cents. Those aren't going to sure. be prohibitively expensive anytime soon. So it's not like anyone's priced out of this card. No. It's just the foils we care about. Although people people that cracked off a brick at the first sign of Oopsell spells at twenty five cents a piece or whatever the number was might be able to buy list for a double yeah. or a triple on a small pile. I, I would, oh, that, that I'm would not out. saying that the people won't get paid on the foils. My point was, and no one's priced out of this card. They're just the foils annoying. That's essentially which has happened many times on commons and uncommons over the years in Magic. You know, Ponder was God knows how much at one point. You know, the paper non foils were a quarter and foils were fifteen bucks or some nonsense. Yep, sounds good. All right, so that's the end of top paper movers of the week. We'll quickly segue through the top Magic online movers. Got Lotus Cobra recovering from 87.87 ticks to 1.13 ticks for 30% gains. That's in the last 24 hours or so on the back of Omnath not being knocked out of Standard with Uro being banned. So Uro did catch a ban this week in Standard. Hasn't been banned anywhere else yet. A lot of people think this wasn't enough. The Omnath deck might still be oppressive. Uh, Remains to be seen where that's headed. Um, I'll tell you what, if Omnath caught a ban in Standard in the next couple months, might take some pressure uh, off the other mythics in Zendikar Rising. Things could get pretty uh, roller coastery. I don't, um, I don't think we have a spot for this anywhere else in the cast. Uh, I don't anticipate Omnath getting banned in Standard. I think they they would go the approach of ban cards until Omnath isn't good enough. Basically. Like, rather than ban Omnath, I'll just go hit three other cards entirely possible their whole management of standard has been such a shit show for so long now i've just totally tuned out i'm <laughs> not not barely barely yeah, paying attention cool. i i got i feel you there we got <laughs> bright climb pathway out of zendikar rising on the back of the black white auras deck and pioneer going from three tickets to almost six for 82 percent gains uh, online anybody who got in on cheap pathways on the weekend uh is in solid position there castle garenbrig moving from 63 0.63 ticks to 1.27 for 100% gains. Uh, that's a nice climb. Not exactly sure why, other than that Garenbrig is playing, seeing play in uh, Primeval Titan in Modern, as well as the Mono Green deck in Pioneer. Crag Crown Pathway is probably moving on the Green Red Pioneer mid-range decks, being pretty good right now, going from 350 to 8 or so. I would imagine that that will retrace eventually, because it's a rare and the set's getting heavily drafted, so should get pushed back down. Um... Could be a, a shorting target. I uh, have to check in with Oko on our team and see what's up. Phylath World Sculptor uh, out of Zendikar Rising Showcases. Um, I'm a, I, I would imagine these showed up at a relatively low drop rate in the treasure chests and that that's the only place mm. you can get them. And that Phylath is mostly EDH demand. Going from 0.5 ticks out of the gate to 1.68. So a bunch of EDH players snapping them off. And then Myriad Landscape has alt art that was, I think, in paper only available in one of the ancillary decks. I'm not sure if it's the Zendikar Rising Commander deck or something else, but you can't get it anywhere in the main set. And the art's really nice. So it went from like 10 cents to 90 cents in a hurry, uh, up 860% plus. That's a, a good jump for sure on that one. The, the the percentage yeah, gains you really have to 
Let's say the percentage gains on Moto Sorry, sometimes are uh, I'm envious of. Silly, yeah. And it becomes a question of if you had four copies of this, who gives a shit that you're up a dollar yeah. a piece? But if you were if you were really on your A game in terms of scoping the, you know, making the the connection between how great the art was that EDH players would want it and a low drop rate in the treasure chest on the day that that list got updated, you might have been out by filling up carts anyway with other stuff and picked up 12, 16 copies of these and you're just getting a nice little boost. Is it possible to ever buy like 70 of one card from somebody? Not easily. Because a lot of the bots operate on an algorithm that will increase the price for every playset that you buy. And then... They also pay attention to uh, other people's prices. So if everybody else's prices is rising, you're not going to be able to corner them. And some bots, even if they run multiple bots at once, won't let you buy more than four copies in a certain time frame. And a lot of the smaller bots just don't have deep enough inventory, right. period. There's really only five or ten operators that might even have that much in stock at Do any they... given time. So it's really it's more about if you want to take a, pos- quote-unquote, a position... <laughs> Uh, you're trying to get 4, 8, 12, 16, 20 copies. I think that's basically the most I've ever picked up in any Do of these Do they let you... Or is there ever a case where there's a card that they think is bad and they don't care about that they let you buy a bunch of? Not really. I, I don't think so. They they typically expect that anybody that's trying to to grab a whole bunch of copies of something has a reason to be doing so. And they they therefore react pretty quickly mm. to that. Um, but it's, it's much, so it ends up being more a game of figuring out how to do the same thing with a bunch of cards simultaneously. So you can't buy 20 copies of a flip mythic, but if you think all the flip mythics are underpriced and there's five of them, then every time you go into a bot, you get all 20 potential copies instead of picking up four at a time. And then you're, you're snapping off twenties, 20 here, 20 there, 20 there. And then you end up with 20 to 30 copies of all of them. And then whatever was supposed to happen happens like they were too high so you rented them now you're and you sold them when they were high and then they get really low and you buy them back to to fill your short or you were buying them at a low and you're just waiting for them to take off because whatever they are isn't in the treasure chest anymore Mm -hmm. or something all right yeah i mean that that makes sense i guess i'm just you know i'm contrasting that with a paper store where i could go in and if the you know i could be like hey i want to buy out all of your recross the paths and the owner might just be like uh this guy is clueless sure i'll sell yeah. i'll sell him whatever oh, yeah. crap sure. he wants because what are the odds that this is going to go anywhere all right let's move on to paper cards to watch this is a thick segment nine picks or two including C's? <laughs> you can take your pick. Take your thick. Take your uh, thick of pick. How th- uh, take take your pick of we which. We should thick. tell people to send um, thick pick picks. Oh no! <laughs> send your thick There's deck pick picks. No. Send your thick thick there. deck pick picks. Oh come on! That's Seven so pick. good. <laughs> Seven picks from us. Two picks from the pro traders. This is a pile of goodies. So. My first pick of the week is Magmatic Channeler, Foil Extended Art, the card that Travis was not excited by. Jason didn't have much positive to say about it for EDH, but I have a sneaking suspicion this card is being undervalued in general. 
and there's at least a little bit of early evidence that I'm on the right track. The card has showed up in both Is It Delver lists in Legacy, where it's getting played in Delver of Secrets, Monastery Swift Spear type brews, and also showed up in uh, Jundi Death Shadow brews that run it as like a two of to create some mid game card advantage. That's enough of a signal, even though I would fully assert that this is not by any means a card that has earned a permanent home in these formats so much as something that people are currently experimenting with but the foil extended arts are five bucks right now on tcg player and over in europe they've got them at more like 10 to 12 euros partially because they haven't gotten a hold of most of their collector boosters because they were delayed in both europe and japan um, to an even greater extent than they were in north america so a lot of the foil eas just haven't showed up uh, on card market in, in the EU. But still, $5 foil extended arts. I'm not going to go 100 copies deep, but I picked up 20 of these pretty handily and felt good about it. I want to highlight here that I did not say the card was not playable or bad. I said it's not good in EDH. There's a difference. I agree with you that this is reasonable in all of the Eternal formats. I think Pioneer Modern and Legacy, I could see this taking a shot. Um, I mean, two mana 4-4s are legitimate, especially ones with an activated ability that give you something to do until it's a 4-4, and if there's ever a time that you can't swing with your 4-4, you get to play with it. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. And Extended Art Foils for 5 bucks. Yeah, I'm not really going to complain about that. That's got to be close to the floor in the way that Mythics used to be have a floor of about $2. Foil Extended Arts at 5 is probably close to the floor, I would imagine. Um, so I think it's fine. Just if you're doing this, do it because you think it's good in those Eternal formats, not because you think it's going to go somewhere in EDH. Yep, I agree with that. The Extended Art Foils on... Let's see. Card Kingdom is not offering anything on the foil extended arts right now, but they're offering three twenty-five on the regular extended arts. So I would imagine that when they post foils on the buy list, they will be in the four to six dollar range minimum. So five dollar copies are probably buy list covered. And the last deck I spotted that was modern was a modern preliminary on September 21st that went 4-1 and ran two of them alongside four Death Shadow, a Scourge of the Skyclaves, four Tarmogoyf, Gorkland Rampager, and four Street Wraith. Thing is, in the next seven or eight decks that went 4-1 or better that are logged on Goldfish, a lot of them didn't run it at all. So, again, it hasn't earned its permanent spot. There are a whole bunch of different configurations people are trying out around Death Shadow right now, and it's not clear, you know, whether this card for sure has a home. That said, 5 to 15 in a year on a relatively small pile, say pick up a place at a 4, don't think people can go super wrong. I'm going to give it a confidence level of 7 for now, but if we're seeing it in lists consistently a month out, then I would boost that to an 8 or a 9. Yeah, I don't think that's un unreasonable. Um, you know, we're, we've got a couple early results, definitely put it on your radar and maybe that cements it, uh, a little ways down the road. All right. What's your first pick uh, this week? I'm going to get started with something that kind of, I didn't really expect to bump into, but here we are. It's a uh, wayward sawtooth pack foils out of 
sword tooth. I, sword I, tooth. I, you know, I type sawtooth every time I tried to type this in too. Sword tooth pack foils out of um, rivals of Ixalan. Rivals, yeah, rivals yeah. of Ixalan. So these are about twelve, thirteen ish, fourteen dollars right now. Uh, it's in fifteen thousand EDH rec decks and is yeah, healthy I think, number. Uh, I thought I had it up, but I walked away from it. Uh, what, I don't know if it's the most popular card from Rivals of Ixalan, but it's definitely up there. Um, the promo foils and pre-release foils basically start at 18 and hit um, 20 plus within like a copy or two. And the pack foils, like I said, are 13 or 14, but will be, you know, they hit 17, 18 within, I think, maybe a play set, slightly less than that, a little more than that. Um, you know, showing up in Omnath for sure, a couple other places, uh, just generally a good green card. There's no promos of this, probably not seeing a promo anytime soon. I mean, it's a Ixalan dinosaur, so I'm not sure where you would see this pop up for the most part. So pretty straightforward EDH foil pick, but supply is low, demand curve is rising, and it's going to be a fairly timeless card. Yeah, I mean, you... Would have expected it to show up in something like the Commander deck for Zendikar, but they didn't seem too interested in putting $15 cards in it. The the non-foil and the foil price is pretty close, and that cannot last. The foil drop rates were not oh. higher for Rivals. Yeah, that's what I remember. The, uh, the pack foils on this are almost the same price as the foils, which is like, yep, yeah, probably time to get that, on the foil train. Yeah, that, that can't stay the same. And now we've got all sorts of reasons to be playing additional lands and manipulating lands and fooling around with moving lands from zone to zone. So yeah, this just makes perfect sense to me. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that over in Europe we can get them even cheaper. I'll look that up in a second. Um, it's in the top three cards from Rivals. It will. It, it, it could show up in a secret layer. It could show up in Modern Horizons 2, but it's not really a modern card, so I couldn't see them prioritizing that. Um, so this could be safer good long while um, based on the products we know about so far in 2020 yeah, i really don't know where you would see this reprinted anytime soon um like a non a non-foil in some kind of or i mean i guess a mystery booster slash the list since we know the list is going to be in every set in standard that that's probably where you see it but if the list is planned for 2021 as all non-foils that's wizards drawing a fence around premium cards foils and extended arts and so forth and saying these are where the collectability lies now but regular cards are back on the table for free very frequent reprint so i wouldn't be surprised to see the card in the next year but it may right, not be a foil right, which is the there's the rub okay and, and it's not and it's not in the it's not part of the green commander set that's coming out no, in November. it's like right? five cards it's like one relevant card in that product Oh, there's a soul ring and an omnath, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Yeah, and I'm counting neither of those as being relevant because omnath isn't and soul ring's not green. So it looks like over in Europe we can get these. Yeah, seven, um, seven or A little euros. cheaper. A little cheap. Yeah, something like that. All right. Very solid pick given uh, everything that's going on. This next one is, I think, a great pick, but I don't actually know why. <laughs> Pelucranos Unchained showed up in my in my research of where are foil EA mythics at um, you know 6, 9, 12 months down the road this was in Theros Beyond Death so it came out in January of this year which is 
seems like six years ago, but it was actually more like nine months ago. Um, these are 20 bucks right now. You can, in Europe. That's already odd. Um, in the US, they're already pushing 25 to 30. It's pretty strange. Like, it's in 1.5, one and a half thousand EDH rec decks. It's a cool card. It definitely goes in my Attracts a Counters build. Um, but I don't hear people talking about it all that much. But there are 10 listings left on TCG Player. They go from 25 to 119. I don't know what to tell you here other than that there this card doesn't exist. <laughs> so I wouldn't go deep on this because I don't understand the play pattern other than that it is kind of a cool casual card. But casuals buying foil extended arts question mark question mark i guess i would snap off a couple of copies in europe at 20 bucks and see what happens see if i can sell them at 30 to 40 yeah i mean i i don't have a problem with the line of thinking here you notice that the card is very low supply where it clearly is getting purchased because why would it be that low if it weren't um and it's you know cheaper and in 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 available supply in europe as opposed to the u.s like yeah I don't have a problem with that. Um, you don't always have to know why something's good or you don't have to know why something is selling to see that it's selling and try and get ahead of it. Yeah. Like it looks like the cheapest copies I could pull, pick off in Europe right now are like 13 euros. So about 15 us. I just, I find it hard to believe I'm going to be able to, I'm going to go wrong yeah. there. I, I don't want a hundred copies, but a shallow yeah, amount. A place sure. that's worth, you know, especially, especially since you don't exactly know what's going on, but like, that's still, still fine. Find the dabble. Look the dabble. Dabble yeah. here and there. All right. So what's uh, your next pick? This one, I'm, I'm, I like this one. This is, uh, exploration. The all art borderless foil out of double masters is currently around 30-ish bucks, $32. Um, this is in 18,000 EDH direct decks. You're going to see this in all the new Pelucranos, uh, Omnath decks that get built, Omnath. and every other Landfall deck that gets built from here on out that continues to get built. Keep in mind that Lord Windgrace has been a top, essentially, five commander since it was printed like a year and a half ago, so there's enduring demand for the archetype. Um, it's the only promo copy the only cool looking one if you check the price trend on this it seems to have flatlined here so it could go lower maybe but i don't think by much and i think on a year to two year timeline this could be 60 to 70 dollars like exploration is a a real good card this is a very cool art um I, it's medium for odds of getting promoted again somewhere. I think there's plenty of other stuff in the pipeline that could go ahead of this, but they might go back to the well on exploration again. But it does have several, has several versions, just not promo versions like this. So it's like maybe they decide that they're good for now and they don't need to print anymore. Um, even though this is the only super cool version. So I, 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 this is the type of card that I, I like because I think this will move to 
60 or $70. Um, and for what it's worth, I did check Europe since I had the tab open and they're, you will pay about $30, $32 for them over there as well. But there is a guy who has 26 of them. <laughs> so if anyone wants to really put their money where their mouth is, you can get 26 of these for 32 bucks from one guy. There's also a, the only wall on TCG is versus games SF for with 18 copies at 3421. Yeah. I see this as a 30 to 45 to 50 within a year kind of thing where the market will slowly chew them up. Um, Zendikar will help uh, a fair bit and then it, it will the pressure will let off but it will still be a consistent uh, demand flow because the card's just well liked and the art in this particular case for the foil uh, uh, borderless from Double Masters is gorgeous um, I opened copies in both English and Japanese definitely slipping one of the Japanese copies in one of my uh, hard case EDH decks and uh, yeah, I can see this working out just fine. Uh, I don't know if the the timeline is, you know, I feel comfortable at 12 months more than say six, but 12 to 18. Great. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is six months. I think your six months, this card might be 40 to 45. Um, like I said, probably a year to two reasonably. But I do think that you could stash these away and in two years are going to be more than double what they are today. Important to note that we're not done with VIPs yet. There's still plenty of those boosters floating around. Some will get gifted during the holidays and whatever, but they're not printing more of them so far as we know. They're just, there's some inventory lingering in the marketplace. So as you start to see the prices on cases and, and boosters of VIP start to inch up a few bucks here and there on eBay and TCG, inventory starts to hollow out at the major vendors. That's going to be the signal that, you know, some of these are going to, be under yeah. some pressure. All right. My next pick is taking... I was looking for which Mythic DFC foil extended art is near that magic $20 price point and is seeing enough play that I might as well open a position on it. Turn Timber Symbiosis is what I came up with. Agademes and some of the other ones are closer to 30 right now. Foil EA. Bizarrely, even though they're exactly the same rarity and are seeing roughly the same amount of play, tin term, uh, turn timber symbiosis foil EAs on TCG player this afternoon were at twenty bucks. Twenty to forty in a year seems completely on point to me. These are seeing plenty enough play. I think they're going to see medium play in EDH at least, and people will keep finding reasons to run this card. And we've seen what happens with foil mythic extended arts. This is a poster child for that. Get in on some at 20. If they get a, a little cheaper, you just dollar cost average down that ramp because it's not going to go on for all that long. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we talked about these a little bit up top, you know, in the metagame, and I, I did make the comment offhand that, like, oh, there's no, looking at the oops all spell stack. I was like, oh, there's nothing there I would buy, but I kind of said it without really thinking about the lands that much. I do find, you know, it's, I, I wasn't wild about some of this stuff. Um, I do think that the mythic flips in particular seem to be proving themselves pretty well in regards to uh, whether they're, you know, what seen enough play at the moment. I can't really argue with the, the viability of them at this rate. Um, and in EDH, they seem pretty well positioned as well, as well as the constructed formats. Uh, I am mildly concerned that, A, 
people in the constructed format, I'm mildly concerned that people will, the edge will fall off of them in some of the more broad applications. People might realize that they're cuter than they look and end up moving away from them. There's also the possibility they just get banned for enabling stupid crap, uh, which would sort of prove your point that they're good enough, uh, <laughs> much to your detriment. Um, you know, you hate being right. So, but, you know, I don't think that we're at the point where that's a major concern at the moment, and you'll probably have time before that becomes a real concern. Uh, so I think there's time to get in and try and ride these before you get penalized for it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're if the if the floor on these is all 20 bucks, especially the green one, which, you know, is probably the most likely to see play just based on the, that feature being, being green. Um, yeah, I could, I could be along for the ride on that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can see like Charbelcher, if they, Char, Charbelcher actually became a problem, they would just ban Charbelcher itself and turn the deck off. Uh, if Oops all, all Spells needs something turned off, they'll just get rid of the Undercity Informer or whatever. Um, but I suspect that those are going to end up being, you know, minor league role players in those formats and not super dominant forces. Time will tell, um, you know, where things land. But I like Turn Timber's has that it has multiple prong like m multiple forks in the road that might get it to victory and that's the kind of thing i'm looking for i want something with broad applications yeah. and turn dipper is just the in green seven mana isn't that much and going to get a creature out of your the top seven cards of your deck and making it a little bigger if it's small is not amazing but solid in commander and there are a bunch of green decks that will make space for it. And more to the point, it's an 8% of all the green decks since it was launched. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a solid number. Yes. Yeah, that's that, That's the same percentage you're seeing for something like Nahiri's Lithoforming and red decks, or Agadim's Awakening and black decks, um, you know, Nissa of Shadowed Bows and black green decks, etc. So, I mean, these are... Looking pretty solid. The, the only one that has a higher number out of the flip mythics is Seagate Restoration and Blue decks at 11% of uh, 2,225 decks, so 249 decks so far. Um, and I suspect that those percentages are, even if they only held, held steady, you would still end up with these being, say there's you know 30,000 decks registered in a year. If these are 10%, you're talking about numbers in the three, four, five thousand. 5,000 on these which would be very solid mm -hmm. spec worthy for sure yep I, I i don't think it's i don't think it's a bad idea i think they're clearly the one of the most appealing options out of the set and certainly the most flexible and they break the most rules and magic so it's a lot of good things true yeah all right speaking of yeah Charbel, this last one you were you're like travis pick this card I'm like okay so <laughs> foil goblin char belchers are sitting out of eternal masters are sitting in europe at four bucks right now uh which is real cheap compared to the fact that ccg player is basically sold out um we talked about how it did it showed up in modern and looks pretty decent um the you know the eu market's basically just lagging behind there fairly straightforward 
I think that if you're buying these at four dollars, it's unlikely you're going to suffer. The worst case is that you out them for you know store credit at basically what you paid. Uh, but Char Belcher is definitely definitely has a a following, um, and I could see it replacing ad nauseum as well. Uh, it does operate on a I would say an angle that seems probably even trickier to disrupt than ad nauseum is, and it might be faster. I'm not sure. Um, but if there's any deck that clearly win, uh, sees a big bump from all these flip cards, the flip lands in modern, it is Char Belcher, at least for now. Again, I don't want to be super deep on this position, but snapping off, say, 12 copies in Europe and then trying to exit either via buy list or via play sets for the random folk that are still building constructed decks during COVID uh, doesn't seem crazy at all. And because this was a mystery booster card as a non-foil this year already, don't see this being on Wizards radar as to get a subsequent reprint. This is an odd card that really only shows up in its own deck. So once you've given it the spotlight for a year, it could be off the radar for another two or three years easily. Yeah, it's a... uh... It's an odd card that's hard to print because it just is never going to feel like it makes sense anywhere, Um, which is good for you because why would they reprint it? So Yeah, it makes perfect sense in those kind of weird ancillary lists like Mystery Booster. So it could show up in the list, but now that we've opened some set boosters, the list is huge and unlikely to impact uh, prices of any cards and it's also again non-foil I was say, isn't it non-foil yeah so the foils seem very very safe here for at least six to 12 months and especially if you don't go super yeah deep. I, I would say i guess my biggest concern on this might be that they rerun inventions and add charbelcher as one of the like lower end ones um sort of like a like a sundering titan position or or what have you but even then i Kind of an, would be, that would be an odd choice. So I, I, I do have a, I, I do have a wondering about whether they are looking to double up on masterpieces again within the year. Like whether either the Strixhaven or uh, if I, I always want to say Hogwarts, so I'm not even sure if Strixhaven is the right name, um, or Caldheim might have Inventions Part Two. Uh, it could also be the Dungeons and Dragons set, or they could leave it alone for a year or two. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Charbelcher could be is is a viable low end yeah. option there. And I'm not like super worried about it; just aware of it as a possibility. And if those were forty or like thirty or forty dollars, it wouldn't matter yeah. much anyway. It's not gonna it's not gonna change the fact that you're trying to get fifteen for the yeah. The and I, you know, I mention it, but like it's not even so much that I like when worried about it. I just sort of idly wonder about the possibility of it showing up there. Good times. All right, so my fir- final pick of the week is Skyclave Apparition Foil EAs, currently at eleven dollars uh, in the U.S. Looking to get out around twenty to twenty-five. I see this is as a Thassa's Oracle type extended art, where the foil, the Thassa's Oracle foils at ten were just fine. Uh, didn't take all that long for them to make money. Um, certainly within the the first six months as they popped up in both constructed and uh, EDH applications. Uh, if you look at the extended art foils right now, just the non-foils for Thassa's Oracle extended arts are 11, and the foils are at 40. So if you believe me that Skyclave Apparition is 
the same kind of card where it has strong constructed applications and lesser EDH applications. This is probably going to get there. When it's played in Pioneer or Modern, this is going to be a four of for the most part. And sometimes it shows up in the sideboard as a two, two or three of. Humans uh, is, is experimenting with running it. The Blue-White Spirits list that we saw uh, in our top eight review up top was running it. That was the uh, yeah Blue-White Spirits in the Modern Challenge that came in third place, had four copies of this card. A four of in Modern with any kind of uh, reasonable uptake is eventually not going to be a $10 foil EA. If these drop... Uh, under pressure once the rest of the collector boosters land in the next two to four weeks and you see these at seven or eight dollars all the better yeah this is uh this is an interesting go- one to go with i was kind of hemming and hawing on it while you were talking about it but the card is quite useful um has shown the that it's got the chops in both Pioneer and Modern. Um, it will see play in EDH. Not quite as much, probably, as some of the other options, but it'll definitely be out there. It's useful to do some shenanigans with because it's the old templating. So there's value in it there. Uh, and I agree that if you're playing it in one of the Eternal formats, you're probably in for three or four. And really... It's it's the fact that it's ten or eleven bucks for the showcase foil that's tempting here. I mean, we talked about the early, you know, I was saying on Magmatic Channel or the floor is probably around five for those, roughly, maybe four. So this isn't at the floor, but at the same time, it's already a very obviously playable card and will be for another, you know, two years in standard plus however long elsewhere. So the fact that you're starting a little higher from the floor, but you already know the card is good and useful helps quite a bit. Um, Das's Oracle at 40 is probably, probably very optimistic, to be honest. Uh, that card has some additional demand, I think, that this is missing at the moment. But Das's Oracle, I don't know if that sees play as a solid four of regularly in both Pioneer and Modern, more than it sees play as like sometimes a one or two of as a combo component. But um, it is possible that Skyclave Apparition kind of ends up more popular than Sasa's Oracle. It's might you know kind of less sexy. It doesn't say win the game on it, but as a utility card, it might show up quite a bit. So uh, I'm fine buying in a couple copies now and, and kind of watching this and then possibly buying up the ramp a little bit if it becomes clear that this is showing up week in and week out. Yeah, or down the ramp if the supply pressure pushes it there. The, the thing that people are missing, there's a, a few like subtle things about this card that people are mis- missing at first glance. Um, first, Jason pointed out that you assu- that I assumed it was flying, which I'm sure lots mm. of people will. It, it does not fly. Um, secondly, it's a spirit and a core. So anything that cares about those two things has a reason to make use of it. Um, it also just gets rid of the thing that it's targeting permanently. They never get it back. It's not like Oblivion Ring. They get a blue illusion creature back, which is a token. Lots of ways to handle that. And in many cases, if you're getting rid of something like three mana Teferi or Narset or Ashiok or Renin Six or any of these other high power level things, uh, Uro or an Omnath, you're real happy to give them a generic creature instead. <laughs> and first they've got to kill the Skyclave. You know what's kind of funny is you can Skyclave something 
then when they eventually kill Skyclave and they get their token, you can Skyclave the token and then they will get nothing back. So you can, over the course of two cards, eat something permanently. You can also do cute tricks with blinking yeah. it. So, if, so for instance, somebody at your commander pod is attacking, you know, player C is attacking player B, and you have previously taken something of player B's with the apparition. You could blink the apparition. It leaves play, gives them a blocker that ends up being a trade. And then you get rid of some other permanent on the on the table that's causing you trouble. That's nasty. Yeah, this card. I mean, that's 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 the go to <laughs> with it. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of cute little things like that with this card. You know, if you, if you target somebody's commander, if they choose to put it back in the command zone, does it even count as an exiled card? Uh, I don't believe so because if it would be exiled, they can put it to the command zone instead, and then I think it doesn't trigger that because i think other because didn't we say if a card if a commander would die and you choose to return it to the command zone instead it doesn't trigger the dies effect i i have to double check the ruling on this but if that's true that's even more cute because then you're getting rid of commanders but no downside yeah. with this thing yeah that's uh it's a nice little upside to it definitely some utility in any edh deck that can find a way to monkey with it Worth pointing out that the Magmatic Channeler play is 5 bucks, and this one is 10 to 11 So you're paying twice as much for something that, of a similar rarity. So you really have to at least com com compare and contrast to see which one you believe in more strongly. I think Skyclave definitely has the stronger play pattern right now, but it's not clear to me that it will stay that way. Clear <laughs> you're just clearly trying to sell the Skyclave. You know, it's funny. We get blamed, and we as in like my Magic Finance people get blamed for pump and dump and their own specs and stuff like that, which like really doesn't happen. What they're they're missing is that we never pump our own picks for person for for profit. It's an ego thing. <laughs> it's like I, I don't own any copies of this, so because that way I don't have to feel guilty about telling you all how good the card is and trying to convince you that it's the right card to buy, and then that way I get to feel really good about it later on. See, I'm so far past that at this point. Given how broad my I don't believe that is, for a second. I, the way you were pushing Magmatic Channeler, <laughs> I I think I did a pretty good job of establishing that Magmatic Channeler has not earned its its role yet, and that it only interests me here because it's so cheap. If people are wrong about it, that's where I'm at with that card. But I don't, I just in general, like talking your own book is something I encounter all the time with the pro traders when they're submitting their picks, because you'll have the same guy submit the same thing three weeks in a row. And it's like, really, that's the only card you're still thinking about three <laughs> weeks later. There's nothing else that popped up on your radar. Okay. How many copies sure. do you have? <laughs> like, how, how worried are you about what's happening? So with you those got copies? Final Fortune, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, but I think it's a lot, you see. People talking their book out of self-interest is a lot more common when they only have 10 specs yeah. in play. Like, my inventory is hundreds of specs. I don't care what happens to any one of them individually. And I certainly don't have any ego wrapped up in it. I don't need to be right on every pick, and I've long since well, accepted that. I just need to be right on average, which is much, much easier. And and so much easier to perform ma ego maintenance around. 
I know what my overall numbers look like, and that's all I need to feel yeah, comfortable. I mean, I was just teasing you, James, but uh... well, I mean, it's it's a it's a valid. You know, when we talked to Ellie, we heard the same thing that people that don't know much about any given person they're listening to in MGG Finance are always going to run the filter of why are they talking about this card? Like, I don't think this card's any big deal. So why are they making a big deal out of this card? And as we said, Ellie, those are totally reasonable filters to run you should run them and and they're going to be useful to you because there are people out there talking their book like i mean if you if you watch rudy that's all he does so and i i you need i said it as a a pseudo joke i do think that there is truth to pump to i'm gonna say pumping but more talking certain specs up not because you stand to gain significantly from them financially but because it gives you it's like oh i discovered this one I yeah. figured this out ahead of the curve and I want the recognition for it after the price jumps and like, you know, whatever. So I, I didn't make the 60 or bucks or whatever on it. That's not a big deal. I get clout. And I do think that is the case. And I, there is a non-zero amount of that, I think for, at least for me, I don't base my, I don't base any actual decisions on it, at least nothing consciously, but it feels good to have picked something like that. No one else saw and then get paid, and then have it come through in spades. Um, I think it was a bigger deal back, say, five years ago, when there was less action overall, where things were a little few, you know, fewer and further between, and it was more noticeable because there was less people making MGG Finance content total, and so it was more easy to compare one person's picks to the others. Now that I spend a lot of my MGG Finance time inside the ProTrader Discord with hundreds of other people, like-minded people... There are so many wins and losses every day, like so many recommendations that turn out and then people reporting their success or their failure dozens and dozens of times per week that it all just kind of like washes mm-hmm. over you. Like there's just like, you know, if you if you had a big win where you called the $10 thing and it went to 40, like, yeah, I take note of it, but that's like one of six of those per day. And whether I was in on it or not, I might not even yeah. remember <laughs> at yeah. the time. So I'm going to give you like the thumbs up icon and well, move you, on. You, you um, and I specifically traffic in so much of, the, you know, we've got the podcast to, you know, stroke our own egos to begin with and um, expose to so much of that content because of the discord that you're right. It, it hits us less than it hits other people. But if you don't have, you know, if you're, an, an unknown in the scene, which I think, you know, most people are, unless you're one of like 10 people, you are essentially an unknown being able to have that in writing and point to it feels good. Even if you're not trying to do anything with it, just being able to say, I did it. Especially if it's your first time, like say you were a, a fairly neophyte pro trader or you're over a quiet speculation or whatever. And you enter that community and you're lurking for a little bit and then you go out on a limb and you say something that you pick a thing, like say it's Magmatic Chandler, and you pick it when nobody else is picking it. And then two months later, it's up 20 bucks. That first win really yeah. feels good because that's the, that's the one that say, that where you say, hey, maybe I'm not, you know, my imposter syndrome takes a back seat. Looks like, you know, I'm not a complete moron on this front and I could probably do something which is, here. Which is funny because if anything... <laughs> You are an imposter. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, and you just got lucky, and now you are. You Possibly. are. I mean, more, it feels like more often than not, 
And this was your a squirrel finds a nut every now and then. And you actually now have more confidence than you should. It's like reverse imposter syndrome in this particular hobby niche. Yeah, I mean, possibly. Or you could be a completely level-headed individual that realizes that you're just putting one foot in front mm-hmm. of the other. And you're going to try it again three weeks later, and that one's going to be wrong. And then you'll take you'll take stock of that and try again three weeks later, which, and that one works out okay. And then, you know, you I get agree. better. I mean, that's obviously the ideal. Which of those is the more common person in the <laughs> Magic Finance subreddit? <laughs> I, yeah the thing is like i never go well, that's there the, that's what i mean and spend a lot of our time in our discord where most of the people are very reasonable yes. individuals they, you don't really there's still little bits of ego stroking here and there but there, there's not very much competition like we're a very friendly helpful bunch and some dude tells you to go over to mcm and clean something out you can pretty much assume he bought some first <laughs> but he is also pointing you at a good opportunity. Like he probably got them at six bucks and now you're getting them at 10, but they're 20 in North America. So everybody. Yeah. Wins. I mean, every, you know, in our discord, everyone's there to help each other make money. Like it's, it's good for everyone. So everyone plays very well and are in the, having a paywall. And I, I could actually talk about this as sort of a separate topic, but having a paywall is um, monumental towards improving communities. And this isn't just, this isn't just us. This is any sort of community you're a part of. It makes a big difference. Um, but yes, we are, I would say one of the very, very few exceptions to the rule more that like, you know, the magic finance subreddit, which is what a lot of people are exposed to. And in fact, most of the people who are listening to this cast, because the number, the public numbers on this compared to the private numbers are, you know, they are what they are. So more people who don't read the discord are listening to this and do, and they might be exposed to those sort of. Although more and more every week, basically, basically every, every episode now is good for X number of listeners transitioning to sure. trader. And that's been that's been well, true for months. The now I, I'm not saying the number. The I'm, I'm not saying fast. the number because you'll yell at me and make me edit it out. But like we both know what it is. <laughs> so the the you actually bring up an interesting topic. Maybe we'll make this the topic of the week next week. Why do we run Pro Trader the way we run it? Because there are plenty of things we do in there that not everybody agrees with, including you. Um. So that's that's probably an interesting and healthy topic uh, that will apply to several hundred people that are already in there and the several hundred more that might be within the next year that are you know on the fence and will get a little bit of forewarning about what does and does not fly in there and why we think if you're going to do that you have to make clear notes and put them on the spreadsheet of what we are allowed to say on the cast and what we aren't. Just as a just as a heads <laughs> up, because I get you know the course of conversation, I'm gonna be inclined to say X, Y, or Z, and like you're be like, no, don't yeah, share that enough. piece of information. I mean, does it? I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that you can't say, but you know, I'll run. You know, maybe you'll run some. Ooh, what about by the listener me, numbers? And, and we'll. Well, I mean, people can see that openly on. Oh, Sandler. is that? I, you know, now that you say that, I forgot about that. That that is publicly visible, isn't it? Yeah, it's like several thousand people. It's like three to five thousand, depending yeah, on the so, cast and whether we remember to promote. Well, that's it what, that was my point. It, it's like you know, we get a couple hundred private listens, and then a couple thousand public listens. You know, we're getting roughly ten to twenty times more Magic Finance subreddit listeners than we are Pro Trader listeners. I guess probably the number that nobody knows but me and a couple other people would be the total number of pro traders because the people in the Discord assume that number equals total number of Discord members. 
But what they don't realize is that there's actually tons of pro traders that don't ever bother to show up in the Discord. Like, we have a very bustling active Discord, probably one of the busiest in Magic. Um, But that's not all the pro traders. There's tons of people that just never click the link I give them when they sign up. And they just consume the, the content on the website and use the tools and... I ping them a couple times a year and they never show up. Mildly so, surprising, um, but I mean, it's, it's not. It's a minority of of the pro traders, but there there is a hidden a hidden segment of the membership mm. for sure. Um, and that was even more true before our, I took over when Alistair had uh, collection tools oh, yeah. running because there was tons of people that were managing collections and decks and stuff on on the site. And once we dismantled that, I got all sorts of emails from people that were like, "Wait, where did my well, shit?" Well, that go? was before the podcast or well probably not uh, kind of before the podcast yeah definitely not before definitely before the discord so like you wouldn't have had any other division of listeners right or like division of pro traders it was just whatever okay we have two listener picks here so yeah i mean speaking about how smart pro traders are uh two pretty strong picks here this week uh j mac bear uh, gets a $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. for pointing out that Force of Vigor foils from Modern Horizons, uh, I've got down that it's ZNR here, but it's not, it's MH1, uh, are drying up. They This is a year after release, a year and three months or so after release, and Modern Horizon key foil rare that sees play as far back as Vintage, and it's like a modern legacy vintage sideboard card for the most part, also sees tons of play in EDH where you can knock out a mana crypt and a soul ring for the uh, low, low cost of discarding a green card or whatever. Uh, Have you seen green cards? How could you possibly want to get rid of them? Well, is it a tin t- turn timber symbiosis that I can bring back with Crucible uh, the same turn? It's pretty cheaty. Uh, so anyway, you can get $22 copies, foil copies of Force of Vigor in Europe right now at around $22. Over on TCG Player, they start at 33, and there are five copies total. One, two, three. Yeah, one, two, six copies, near mint copies total between uh, 33 and $45. Those foil copies in Europe at 22 look real tasty. It's 100% backed by CK credit offering. Uh, cash and credit. Cash is at 25, credits at 32. It's in 10,000 decks on EDH Rec pretty solid pedigree yeah i mean hard this is you know these europe picks come up and sometimes they're just like "Uh uh-huh there i don't even feel like there's a lot to say it's like the numbers do this talking for you it's like yep that sure is a obvious choice you should buy them if you have the opportunity and this card just went out of print arguably like really it probably went out of print in march but in theory modern horizons was in print for a year no way they reprint this this no. year. Like, it's not going to show up in any of the sets we know about, except maybe Modern Horizons 2. Yeah, Mo- and that's that would be surprising to me. I, I had this thought while I was carrying my kid around the kitchen, so I couldn't look it up. But is was Modern Horizons 1, was every card in that set new to Modern? New to yeah, Modern. because I know they were reprints, but, it included- but every card yeah. was new so to it Modern. Inc- I see no reason to believe that that's true of Modern Horizons 2 because we know that they're reprinting the Zendikar fetches in Modern Horizons 2. They did say that, yeah. They they did say that. So we know that they've broken that rule already with those five cards. No reason to believe they won't 
provide a smattering of just general reprints. One of the reasons to, to believe that is that there aren't that many cards left that modern wants or needs that weren't already modern legal. They already mined that pretty hard last time, but there are plenty of cards that modern just needs reprints of. So they'll probably just do that. Like I would imagine it will be mostly new cards and 20, 30, 40, 50 reprints. I would imagine we're going to get VIPs with that set. So they might do some cool shit like bring back some Modern Horizons 1 cards, but only as foil borderless box toppers. So you might see Force of Vigor in there, but a fancy version. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, without without it actually being they, in the set. They went hard on... Uh, I should say they went hard. There may be less in terms of cards not currently in modern that they reprint to bring into modern that there may be less of that set available for modern horizons 2 than modern horizons 1 but they could just fill it out with more brand new cards yeah if they wanted to go that route uh because it is but then again if they're already printing the fetches do they need to care Mm, i don't have an answer i'm not sure but bottom line is, I think Force of Vigor foils in Europe near twenty, probably the best pick of the week. If you can, if you have that avenue open to you, if you have EU arbitrage already set up, you've got an MCM account, you got somebody to bounce ship for you. Uh, and I don't think you have to be in a rush because I don't think you have to quick flip these. This isn't a hype spike. This is just a great utility card, multi format staple that is, whose foils were relatively rare and are draining out on schedule. Because keep in mind. Modern Horizons was not foil per pack. And oh, yeah. you got one or two foil rares in a box. And it wasn't at the elevated foil drop rate. And the boxes were $300 or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, 250 So even though boxes got down to 170 or 180 along the way, none of that really matters. There aren't that many of the foil rares from this set. And... All of that means this is probably going to work out just fine. Like if you if you pick these up in your twenty and you sell them anywhere near forty, I think you're doing yes. great. Yes, and I I would agree that you know in terms of like the duh factor, like you can't you can't beat this. Nothing is more simple in terms of like you know you you you've you've already made money if you just put this card in your cart on MCM. And so the the follow on to this, like say you're not a pro trader, you don't get this pro- podcast two days early. And when you get to Force of Vigors on TCG, they're all gone. Your secret shop online and mid-tier vendor in your state that often has a couple of things seems to be sold out and you don't have a hookup in Europe. The next thing I would do is if this is selling out for Modern Horizons, go to TCG and check out what else has good EDH stats, multi-format play, and might be on the precipice of a tipping point. Yeah, which is something we don't really make a point of commenting on but that is true is you know the 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 technique for all you guys and girls listening who aren't a pro trader is to perhaps consider ancillary cards that we didn't mention to a particular spec and see if there's something available there yeah all right so this last pick took me by surprise i have a pile of these and this is a case similar to the foil extended our fabled passages making a comeback didn't see this one coming either same set same problem <laughs> except it wasn't a reprint it was a slew of bannings oko thief of crowns got banned in standard pioneer and modern 
is only currently legal in Legacy, Vintage, EDH, and Cube. Is that a question? That sounds about right. It's Just trying to make sure I know my shit. I think that's right. Aaron Forsyth and, South. Yeah. And yet, Foil Extended Art, Foil Borderless Okos, about to go poof and disappear. And where the hell are they going to reprint this card? They can't put it in Modern Horizons 2. It's banned there. There's no other product on the slate anywhere in 2021 where it makes sense. Super unlikely that the borderless version is going to catch a reprint, even if the regular version showed up in whatever the list for the Dungeons and Dragons set or something as a mythic the same way that Renan 6 did for Zendikar. Who cares if they give us regular bordered Okos? They're very, very unlikely to give us a premium Oko anytime in the next little while. So what price are these going to land at? You can currently snap them off in Europe around 80 bucks or so. And Okos on TCG Player are currently lowest copies 90, then 94, then 98. 105, 130, 195, 200. And there are eight listings total on these for a card that's banned in three key formats. This guy, if this doesn't go up in price, I want you to ban this guy for getting my hopes up. (laughs) Because (laughs) I had like, I don't know, six of these stupid ass things when it got banned. And if you made me think they're going to be valuable and then they are not, I'm going to be so annoyed with him. Don't hurt my feelings that way, man. I, I could see these, these. These have no specific impetus for an explosion, right? No one's out there playing Legacy right now in paper. It's a EDH is the only real driving force. It is a great card there. It's got real solid stats uh, in EDH. But... This is just a very rare version of a very high-powered card that is getting chomped off one by one by one. It's a year out, and that's the math. Foil, borderless, extended art-ish mythics tend to get about a year, and if they're good, they're gone. And that's what we're seeing here. This is a very steep ramp. So if you can pick these off in Europe, I, I, I snapped off two this afternoon at about 82 bucks a piece. I think going 80 to 125 or 150 seems very reasonable and maybe retails at 149.99 and you're going to flip yours out at 130 to 135 or something. You might have to sit on them for a bit, but I think you're in very safe position because I just can't see where they reprint this. Yeah, I mean if if all of these numbers are if if that really is moving, then there's no real strong reason to think that it's fake right like sure if the if the price is moving if the card's moving in america and the price looks good in europe then there you go that's it's it's right there in front of your face plain as day so i i hope he's right i'm gonna be real angry and hunt him down if he's wrong made me think that i was getting away with something here so over on ebay as a cross reference point there's a borderless foil that looks probably SP for about 90, then 115, then 225, then 310, 380 for a Russian copy, and 510 for a Russian. I actually sent an offer to uh, an MCM vendor today who has two Russian foils posted at 199 euro to see if they would take 300 for the pair. 
I have a feeling that would work out just Jeez. fine. That would Russian foils for two hundred, and, and it might actually be stupid to not just grab them at two forty, because people don't understand. There's almost the the Russian print run is so low. Somebody tried to call me out on Twitter last week when I posted something like that. There was basically like low single digit thousands of the uh, foil mythics. Uh, sorry, of the um, Russian expeditions. Uh, because there are 30 expeditions, you can get one per box in regular Russian booster boxes, but the total print run for Russian booster boxes is very, very low, way lower than people would imagine. And that means that you can only have number of boxes divided by 30 is the number of any given copy <laughs> of the Russian expeditions, and that number is astoundingly low. And foil Russian Okos also extremely low like there's probably less foil russian okos than there are amano liliana foils and i know that that number is sub five thousand hmm that low because the russian print run is japanese is the second highest print run in magic russian is either the lowest or the second lowest it's, it's debatable whether it's korean or russian um they're both very very low so yeah, Oko Thiva Crowns foil borderless. If you want one for EDH, I wouldn't hesitate because I don't <laughs> don't think they're getting any cheaper, and I don't see where you're ever going to get in, get them again. It does make the Eldrain Collector Booster boxes a little more interesting. Yeah, possibly because if these push two two to three hundred, then those boxes are a little bit more lottery lottery. Yeah, I would have to see what else was the sat to see if there's an additional angle on it. Well, the other stuff in there that's of use is the Great Henge, um, the five castles, extended arts and extended art foils. Um, you do have a couple of other bandy cards like Once Upon a Time that are problematic. but And, and it's the worst formulation of all of the collector boosters. Like you open the, the least amount mm. of good stuff. Whereas, for instance, in a Ikoria collector booster box, you end up with like four or five triomes, showcase triomes, which are future $20 cards in and of themselves, and they're in a showcase slot. So <laughs> you can get, you know, $80 to $100 in future value just yeah. from those. You don't really have that opportunity. You, ha you have to, you really want to hit big a couple of times, and you can very easily get a bunch of rare foil extended arts in a Eldrain collector booster box that are worth like $4 each. <laughs> and uh you only get you tend to only get three foil mythic extended arts per box and like maybe one planeswalker and that planeswalker could be not yeah <laughs> could be a bad one could be any yeah. of the other ones so anyway nine picks magmatic channeler wayward swordtooth pelucranos unchained exploration turn timber symbiosis Goblin Charbelcher, Skyclave Apparition, Force of Vigor, and Oko Thief of Crowns. Big, big. Sure. Thing. So, what's your favorite pick? I still think it's Force of Vigor. That's the Force of Vigor. Yeah. Is that the, the, feels like it doesn't count? <laughs> like, like it's just like, hey, Walmart's selling this product at twenty dollars under MSRP because they they're selling twenty dollar bills at ten bucks. Yeah, like is that a is that a pick? Like, I <laughs> sure depending on what your definition of it is. It, it, it feels like cheating. Yeah, give them credit at minimum because nobody else mentioned the card. 
I haven't seen that card flagged. I, I think that our people went pretty deep last summer on Modern Horizons and then made some good money on it. And then the hype cycle moved on and everybody got stuck holding some portion of their inventory and was kind of grumbly about it. But that's normal. Like all the sets in print, you're not supposed to be able to sell out of the whole set. Like if you flip right away and we've seen some of that this week with Zendikar Rising, those of our members who had collector booster boxes like last Friday or even earlier, if they cracked boxes at their LGS on pre-release weekend, because they're allowed to sell them then. Um, a lot of people reported that just by you know exiting from an Omnath and some and some expeditions or whatever, they could get most of the box value back and be left holding a nice pile of cards. Yeah. But a month from now, that opportunity is not to be expected to be available because then the first, second, and third waves of collector boosters will eventually land, and the gaps in the market will fill in. Then you're going to be sitting for a while. That's normal. But, you know, Modern Horizons has always had appealing long-term stats. And so, yeah, Force of Vigor looks real good, and it is indeed time to look at what else in that set might be primed for takeoff. And I'm I'm also pretty stoked about this pick because I have two Russian foils that I pulled out of my Russian boxes, and they are going to be worth a pretty penny when the dust settles. Mm, that will be, uh, that'll be a nice return there. That's... I never have any of the Russian stuff. Let's see. Russian foil. I, I'm guessing this is minimum $100 on eBay right now. Force of Vigor. It's going to be some vintage player that buys it from me eventually. Uh, lowest copy on eBay, $140. And did you say you bought yours or you opened them? I opened them. Hmm. All right. Let's move on to segment four, our topic of the week. The Walking Dead Secret Lair. I'm going to go ahead and say that this is the single worst product Wizards has ever released. <laughs> well, I'll say this much. Plenty of people seem to agree with you. Truly abominable on all fronts. All right, go for it. Soapbox is yours. Uh, well, we can discuss it, but this is... So, so if, if you somehow haven't caught this, this is the Secret Lair that's licensed with the walking dead so it's got you know five cards that have walking dead art and names it's like a secret layer but it's not for sale for one day it's for sale for five a week right one week it's available for um it's 50 bucks i believe so a little different from the secret layers and that it's available for seven days instead of one day i think that's the biggest difference but what's particular here is these are mechanically unique cards. They are not reprints of an existing magic card. They're their own cards. Uh, and they are legal in Legacy, Vintage, and Commander. So unlike other wacky cards, like the the Sword of Dungeons and Dragons, the Transformer that was printed, I think there was a, a My Little Pony card maybe, or a Nerf card. There was a Robot Chicken card actually, but there are only like five of those, so no one's that upset about it. Uh, have you ever seen that, by the way? Yeah, I think so. Never watching a card. So there are we, we know other cards like this have sort of existed, but nothing has been like explicitly legal in these other formats. And also, there were there were bigger windows to get them in. Like what? The, it's the combination of the fact that the, you can only purchase this for seven days and then supposedly never again, and also it's legal in competitive formats. That is just going to make this an absolute shit show. Or should I say that it is possible 
to be an absolute shit show. I'm trying to remember if the Transformer and My Little Pony cards were only were EDH only because were they silver bordered? I'm if they were in uh, Optimus Prime, Inspiring Leader was yeah the the Grimlock is silver bordered for sure. Yeah, there there was Heroes of the Realm 2018. I don't even know what that is. But that had an Optimus Prime card that was a Transformers TCG card on one face and a Magic card on the other face. But still silver-bordered, yeah? Uh, no, this is black-bordered, actually. Although it shows not legal in all formats. Yeah, and the, the My Little Pony set was also silver-bordered. So this is, yeah. this is pushing things to another signpost down the road where you're saying... These are playable on Legacy, Vintage, and Commander. They'll end up in cubes too, but that's not as much of a thing. And people are upset because they will be time-limited. So if they don't buy them during that week, they can expect to buy them at aftermarket prices, and they're worried that those prices are going to be very high. Yeah, and it's this is a mess because now you put players in a position where they have to buy these cards. Like, am I, am I going to need... You put them in a position where they say, am I going to need this card? Like... Is this a card that I could need in Legacy? I play Legacy Humans. Is Glenn supposed to be, is Glenn good enough? I don't know. But I don't have the luxury of like waiting to find out. I either have to buy this crap now or run the risk of it being brutally expensive down the road. Even though I don't know for sure whether or not it will be. Right? Like it, it really puts the screws on people to pull the trigger right now if they think they might need one. That's true. But I think people are overreacting. The reality is that these cards are clearly EDH targeted, as most of the stuff this year was. Very unlikely Glenn is going to be show up in Legacy. And if he does, okay. Legacy players have $3,000 decks. If Glenn is $22, that's totally fine. The The issue here would be if, it's some, if it ends up like the first standard weekend when Nexus of Fate was revealed to be a power player in the format. And vendors basically had zero inventory and a bunch of the competitive players on the floor literally could not find the cards and i think that was the weekend where wizards had to just proxy some stuff up for some people if i'm not mistaken but i could be confusing that with kenrith when kenrith was like a foil box topper and there was no non-foils on the floor yeah, that's probably I probably am confusing that. But the bottom line Something is like that. Nexus of Fate was a box hopper from a summer from a core set and did become a problem when it was needed and standard as a frequent four of, and there just weren't that many copies to go around and it pumped up to whatever, forty to fifty bucks, right? And from a standard perspective, that's more annoying because a playset is hundred and sixty to two hundred, that might be adding twenty five to thirty percent to your total deck cost in a format that rotates out every two years. I don't think that's what they've done here. These are going to be a bunch of cards that are totally playable in Commander, but not necessary for Commander. Very unlikely that any of these are Smothering Tithe level staples or Soul Rings, because they're all characters from The Walking Dead. So they're going to be Commanders, mid-tier Commanders, that are totally playable, but you have a million other options. One of the things that bugs me the most about Magic Player Outrage is acting like and this is true even of the fetches, that if you don't have them, you can't play the game. 
It's it's simply untrue. When we talk, when we had the conversation tackling the the fetches discussion, we noted that yeah, if you want to be a top tier player in vintage, legacy, modern, yeah, you need those fetches for a lot of the decks, but not all of the decks. There's always a way to work around it, and you can often use suboptimal versions and still play the game if it's that important to you to play that particular format and you can't possibly afford the most expensive version of your deck so yeah i I get the annoyance and i get the concern i have a feeling this one's going to end up being a nothing burger it's 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 in the same stripe as the fetch question the problem is that fetches have a the difference is that fetches have a a sort of established release pattern you know how to get them they're released roughly the same way all their magic cards are there's no unfortunate precedent being set with those um like they're they're available regularly this is this is different like we've never released mechanically unique cards uh in a that are licensed only licensed and b that are only available for such a short run and like these cards aren't bad right i'm not saying that they're gonna crack vintage or, or legacy or anything but glenn could could realistically be playable in legacy humans i mean i saw people talking about it today so i don't know for sure if he's good enough and i mean it's legacy so like it, it doesn't really matter but what if he's a three of in legacy humans and like is legitimately good? Like, whoops, he's a $120 card, maybe more. And it's, it's not like their decks aren't already expensive, but it's such an extraordinarily obnoxious way to do this. Um, especially because what do their reprint rights look like? Uh, they don't have they them. Right? Are they, are they just... Yeah, right? So are they just flat out not allowed to reprint them? Okay. So that means that their best choice is to reprint something that's mechanically the same, but still a technically distinct card. Which they will Which do. means... Whatever... Sure. I'll, I'll tell you right now. For sure. Anything of these that becomes a big deal and, and creates outrage and the prof makes a specific video about how he would love to build that commander, but he can't find any under $40 or whatever, that card will get a mechanical reprint within two years. But the problem is that doesn't... The Walking Dead version is still useful because how many people wouldn't love to play their commander as the commander and their commander in the 99? Or because that's what would happen. And, and, because they're two two distinct cards. And and here's here's why the third angle on all this makes me so upset that I don't it can't in good conscience purchase this product because this one is going to make people serious coin. Here's why: if any of these cards are good enough that people are bitching because they can't get enough of them and they're too expensive, they will print the functional reprint. But that means the original version is basically on the reserve list. I mean, these are already on the reserve list, right? Like, well, no, but they're not. They will print the functional reprint. So you'll be able to get access right. to the card. But the original version is basically going to function like a beta version because it's going to be non-reprintable. They're never going to go I'm back say- and renegotiate that licensing deal. But I'm saying all of these already are. Whether or not, like, even if they reprinted all five of the or all four of these cards as normal magic cards, these versions yeah, we're, are... St- we're saying the same thing. 
Yeah. The so these are the, the good ones here, if you spot the good ones at their lows, when the massive because here's what's gonna happen. These are gonna sell a lot. Because people are gonna recognize these these angles on this. And there's there's a bunch of other drama around them. So despite there being like torches and pitchforks out and people calling for these to be banned in commander and begging the rules committee to step in, like the commander committee to step in, these will sell very well. So like if you figure that the bad secret layers, you know, like the, why is that snow covered planes pushing to a high price tag? Because they sold probably 10,000 or less copies. These will probably sell closer to 30, 40, 50,000 copies. But that's it. There's going to be 34,000 Daryls in the world, and once the world eats them up, they are never to return. And you have Walking Dead fans that might cross over and buy some as a collectible. And those will never reappear on TCG Player because they they don't even recognize that as a website that they know of. We had four bullet points that we have written down here. Um, and we're just going to have to cross back and forth across all of them. So I, I just want to make a, a follow-up uh, point there. Evan Evan Irwin uh, posted to Twitter today, uh, uh, marketing manager at our sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc., that, you know, take a look at what happened to the My Little Pony and Transformer sets that were available at Hascon. They they were released at whatever, 40, 50 bucks, whatever. They go for 150, 200, 250 or whatever on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't doubt the, that these are probably similar. They're going to sell yeah. a lot of these and they're going to seem very easy to come by when all that inventory eventually lands. One of the funny things here is that they, the outrage is now, but the, the units might not land till March given the product delays with secret layer. It's it. Okay. So I would imagine these probably have a higher demand profile than transformers in my little pony. No, not bigger than Transformers. You, bigger than My Little Pony, but not bigger than Transformers. Even with all the Walking Dead fans out there? I mean, I don't watch yeah, but, it at all. Yeah, but Walking but... Dead fan times collectible fan is not the same thing. All Transformers fans buy Transformers collectibles. Like, that's just that scene. But not mm-hmm. all Walking Dead fans buy Walking Dead crossover product. That's not going to be the same. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I figure, you know, your moms who are watching Walking Dead aren't buying yeah. these cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... It's a very broad market segment and only the very most diehard fans that have like a man cave or a, a girl cave full of Walking Dead product are going to add this to their like their mantle. Yeah, it's OK. So, I mean, less than Transformers, but still probably. But still big appeal. A decent chunk. But at the same time, the Transformer cards have is virtually no demand beyond collectability whereas these are playable cards however tra- like, transformers fans are global and walking dead are not no nah. i still i still think the fact that these are useful cards beyond being uh a collectible is a major component yeah. of the yeah yeah, yeah. The i mean demand the edh dynamic. demand is the driver here a couple of them might be legacy playable very doubt very much doubt any of these are going to show up in vintage this this is this is an issue where the the reality of the situation how these get played who plays them and, and and what have you is sort of secondary to the concept secondary to the precedent the same way that this came up with uh what was the very first unique box topper was that was that that worm 
was it that big worm that was the very first one? Something was the like box topper that was only available as a box topper. And they said that. And all of us are like, whoa, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. And, 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 then, and Nexus of Fate proved it out. Right. And it took like, and it was like three sets in and Nexus of Fate shows up and it's like, huh, how about it? And it was a humongous mess, and it like it was not a good look. You know, I don't, I don't even think this is one of those like not a good look, but secretly good for wizards things. I think it was just flat out not good for them. And this is just yet another instance of that. And in ter- like it, as a player of the game, you should be upset about this because of what it could mean for the future with how they handle this stuff. As a, you you should be upset based on the the how the product is being made available to you and you should be upset based on the other aspect which is essentially the licensing component which we haven't really talked about quite yet i i just it's 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 offensive the way that they have modeled this and they're this is the first time they've done it and it's already looks like they might have gone too far with it like these cards were designed to be playable yeah these are not these are commander cards yeah we have a I mean, yes. They, let me. These would absolutely be modern playable if they were modern legal. Mm, I'm, not, and, I'm not convinced of that. They're mostly mid range creatures with with rando abilities. Yeah, I mean, Negan is pretty legit. A five mana four four who can kill two creatures when he comes into play and makes you two tokens too. Two two treasure tokens if you pull that off. That card would absolutely be playable in modern. Now. They left them out of Pioneer and Modern because those are formats that people actually play. But I guess my point is, they came the very first iteration of this. These cards are already possibly playable. And what happens when they miss a little bit too much on another one, where they push it a little too far, right? Like, that just seems like bad news. Bad precedent. Bad precedent. It's it's, Because there's such an easy way to do this, right? There's such an easy way to do this. We have... We they've already determined with the Godzilla promos. There's the easy way to do license stuff: print the magic card and then print the secret layer. However many months later, yeah. with the Godzilla special name treatment. Yeah, that that version of events is better overall. I think the I don't know if it makes them more money, but from the player perspective, it's certainly better. However. I don't think what is likely to happen is really all that different. If these are super popular, they could be one of the top selling secret layers of all time, 40, 50, 60,000 units or something that will all land at the same time. And these will be pretty cheap for a long enough that people need to experiment with them. They can do so and get them at the cheap price. Now that doesn't help the magic players that are new to the game a year from now. at all but the safety valve is there people are over focused on are over focused on the licensing problem because they'll if if the issue is that the card text needs to be available in greater quantity for whatever commander because it's ends up one of these ends up being one of the top five commanders of all time they'll just reprint that card no big deal but but they can't because the original the the walking dead copy still won't get reprinted and will be legal alongside the magic copy i don't understand what you're saying they're just if okay they're they're just gonna no 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 oh i see yeah you got it wrong 
There, say you need another Negan, they'll just print it with a different name and say that you can only have one or the other and play at the same time. Well, they could they they could go the route of errata in them they'll, to, they'll, to they'll do, print the official print the official magic card and say this is the same card as Negan. Yeah, well, they'll just do what they did with Godzilla, but in reverse. They'll just print mm-hmm. Negan the Cold Blooded below the name of the creature, which is why it's kind of bewildering because but they can, why the hell would you do but, it like this yeah yeah. but my point is they can solve this like there's not actually going to be any huge pressure build up here because these cards are primarily edh no one's playing legacy right now this is a fine year to test the product in this way and as far as i know there's not going to be any major tournaments all the way through most of 2021 either especially not in the u.s so they'll have plenty of time to resolve this. They could even re- redo it in another secret layer six months later if they really need to. Like, whatever. I don't even think it's that big a deal. Well, well, okay. Well, hold on a second. Because, so, as they they are printed right now, and as without any special Oracle changes, if they reprint Negan with, and don't put any Oracle rules changes in, those two cards are distinct. You can play both of them, which means you can go get no, no, your no, no, magic. No, no, no. You don't. Yes. You don't need, no, no. Yes. You just do it like Godzilla. You you print. Then, then no, I you under- print scary monster dude. No, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If they do it with no oracle changes, you would have magic version and Walking Dead version both be legal in your commander deck. Which means that if you want both of them, you got to fork out for the two hundred dollar Negan copy. They could do the option to do the reverse Godzilla is as you said on the table, if the licensing will fly because that still requires printing a licensed character name on a magic card, perhaps for God knows how long, right? Like that okay. would have to be essentially in perpetuity. That, that's a valid point. They, they, they may not be able to print the name on the card. That's true. So that would, re- so that would rely on them doing like an Oracle rules update. Yes, that says, you're right. you know, Joe, the Punisher, the magic card is also the Negan walking dead card, but it's not referenced on either card, now they, which is really messy. They can also just put it in the reminder text though. That what? That this card is, cannot be in play at the same time as whatever. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, we don't know the details of what their licensing deal says. Like, are they legally allowed to print reference that card name? elsewhere like it's weird right like it's yeah there's some awkwardness here you're right there there is definitely some awkwardness here that so so it's not that it's not solvable it's that they they've created they've created a maze of their own making that they yeah the most ass backward way to do it and you can go the 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 if you're gonna print like i don't my if you're gonna print walking dead cards like (laughs) that's that's another topic but like whatever you have the technology print it as a magic card and then print it as a secret layer with the godzilla name treatment this is easy uh all if you printing it as a secret layer version the unique version first and then following with the magic card later is bad and dumb and i hate it because that card is legal in formats and only accessible via the secret layer for that period of time to say nothing of the supply issue with delays in shipping so everyone buys theirs during that week and the initial run the initial ship is like three thousand boxes and you're one of the people who got your boxes and nobody else did and now you're the only person in your state that owns these cards that might happen but that's not how it's been going recent like since covid with secret layer like everything's just been late like nobody nobody gets up front units anymore 
Sure. And I mean, I, these are these are all sort of like weird corner cases, but it just kind of goes to show like all of the problems with this style of printing that you could have these weird things pop up. Well, and, and, and keep in mind that I'm pretty sure this all comes out of the same factory in Dallas that hasn't been able to deliver uh, Zendikar collector boosters on time, hasn't been able to, is probably not going, well, is definitely not going to deliver uh, Commander Legends uh, collector boosters on time. So we have no reason to believe that if COVID continues to be an issue in the U.S., which it shows every re- like likelihood of being, it will be. It will then be. that factory is not going to get any easier <laughs> to get yeah. stuff so, off the floor. So, right. So again, it's it's not that I expect this to be a major issue, but it's a a a potential problem that they just made up on their own. And if you're going to put cards like this in, if if you're going to have basically do the magic card first and the the secret layer promo version second that's what secret layer is for if you reverse that order it's shit it's just bad for everyone involved uh and it just it doesn't make any sense and i can tell you exactly how this happened the marketing team put some feelers out got some decent feedback We're, we're driving for that win they were like holy shit we can get the walking dead licensing so sweet and then they were like, okay, what are the practicalities? And they were like, well, it's a one-time licensing thing. So we can probably, I guess, we'll do it as a secret layer. That makes the most sense anyway, because that's the only place we would want to use the hyper-realistic art from the show. And <laughs> and and the, and the, you know, we don't have other cards we want to attach these characters to. So we'll just make unique ones for them so that they really are dialed in. But there's a couple of things I would have done very differently here. I would not have done super realistic art from the show. And if and it's unclear to me, since none of us were there, whether that was a negotiation point where it was just assumed that they would always do that and no one ever brought up the alternative, or whether maybe people on the Wizards team wanted to do it differently, but the Walking Dead people said, fuck no, like, of course not. We're going to do it exactly like we want this to be something that Walking Dead fans will be really into if we're going to, you know, work out this licensing deal and make it worthwhile we want it to look like our show whereas from a magic marketer perspective if i'm on the other side of the table i would have been trying to convince them to let me do daryl but like daryl on ravnica or daryl on innistrad or something and still identify so basically do it like an invitational card like make it look like the actor make it still feel like the character but how much cooler is it if you use a good magic artist and you have like John Avon does Misha on or whatever. That, that art is comically bad. Oh, so bad. Un, unbelievable. It's like you, t- it's like you took a photo is. from the show, like a still photo, and then ran it through a bad Photoshop filter from like 10 years ago. Yeah. It's bad. It, I, I, you know, our, our good friend Dan Fournier said it looks like a TCG made in the 90s trying to capitalize on the CCG boom. Yeah, or like something like, in the, somebody else in our Discord said something like it was like something out of the back of Scry magazine like or Inquest magazine the like made up cards that, where they would do dumb articles like what if uh like what if the Smurfs was a magic card? And Yeah, I remember did you read MTG Salvation back in 2006? This is a card you saw sure. at that point in time, which is really shocking that this comes from a comic book. You have comic book art. Yep. Are you kidding me? Like, and that was just... that was a whole separate layer of licensing they didn't want to go after. I'm assuming the, but here's the thing. I really think the characters in me- because they fight zombies, 
it's not a stretch to pull them into parts of the magic universe and they could have done some no. really cool art and here's the thing though that doesn't doesn't do anything to alleviate <laughs> the issue i actually have with this set that very few people seem to share with me my biggest problem with this set is that they have allowed people to table negan as a commander And to summarize hours of debate and discussion that have gone on both in our Discord uh, general channel and on Twitter in the last couple days, let me just say this. It's not that Negan is a villain, and because he's a villain, you can't put him on a magic card. That's got nothing to do with it. There are tons of vicious, brutal, horrific, demonic, sadistic things in magic. The difference is... That the level of ins- like emotional insulation provided in fantasy monsters and fantasy action versus the mostly real world action of The Walking Dead. Like The Walking Dead is not really what? a horror show. What? The Walking Dead is an, is uh, he, uh, is about you know the way that humans it's... interact with trauma and disaster. <laughs> It's like all zombie media. It's the real mo- enemy is the real zom- the real monster is a human. Right. And we should probably point out there's a a, a p- possible content warning from here on out. Sure. Uh, so, true. You know, be be aware of that. True. 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 So you know. Thank you. Um, yeah, because I'm making the argument that we don't want to trigger people and putting myself in a position yeah. where I have to describe a triggering event. So yes, skip the rest of this segment if you might be uh, triggered by sexual violence. I suppose. So. Negan in The Walking Dead, especially early on in his character arc, is basically a brutalist fascist dictator who has set up a very arcane set of rules for the people that he is overlording over. And one of the features of that rule set is that though he claims to be against rape, and in fact, I think either murders or assists in the murder of a rapist early on in his arc, he... That whole thing is set up basically to expose his hypocrisy because simultaneously to trying to enforce that rule set, he is also managing a harem of quote unquote wives, which he basically stole from other people through coercion or promises of keeping them alive or making sure they got fed or not injuring their families or whatever. And so he's got this room and in the, in, in the comics, it's a room full of chicks in lingerie. And that he abuses in a variety of ways and does, doesn't out and out rape, but it is still rape and various forms of coercive sexual assault because none of them are there of their own free will. They all feel like they have to be there for one reason or another. And where he could have just helped them, he is instead manipulating them and coercing them and intimidating them into doing what he wants, which is to be one of his you know, 24-7 on-demand wife bots. And in the show, they at least keep them mostly clothed. But it's still the same thing. The the guy is still committing all sorts of crimes. (laughs) And it's not just that he's a criminal. It's that the things that he did are real enough that they might trigger somebody who has lived through sexual violence, sexual coercion, um, you know, unequal power dynamics that have led to uh, disappointing relationships of a sexual nature, 
from a teacher or a professor or whatever. Um, and you just don't know when you sit down to play cards with somebody, which is supposed to be fun for everybody, what might trigger somebody. But the odds that a dragon laying waste to a village with its flame breath are going to trigger somebody are arguably a lot lower than somebody that might be familiar with Negan's backstory that sits down expecting to you know have a fairy played against them and instead this dude with a bat and a sneer and a hard on is on the table across from them and now they got to decide whether the person is oblivious a troll or just ignorant yeah i mean it's this is i didn't know this until you pointed it out and it's super gross and it no, no one has had their village burned down by a dragon so having someone cast Siobhan dragon for against you isn't likely to trigger any sort of ptsd but it's clearly not the case here so you you've allowed the closest thing to a real world villain into your game and that's also just well and, and a lot of people have I, uh, a lot of people have said you know what about murder like isn't murder at least equally as bad as rape etc well here's the thing about murder yeah. if i murdered you you're dead i can't trigger you after the fact there's no like there's no recurring trauma that you have are forced to endure because I continuously murder you, you're dead. And if I murdered your parents, for instance, it's very unlikely you were present during that event, and that entire process is extremely rare. Yeah, this is this, this is weird, uh, and I don't want to be in the business of trying to like equivocate crimes, but I think it's not unfair to say that we have clearly, as a culture, drawn a distinction in terms of the differences between like violent crimes, nonviolent crimes, sexual crimes, and so forth. And, you know, given, especially given the current climate, uh, there is a special scrutiny to being insensitive to um, sexual crimes. And so, sure, which, sure. But, which, but let me finish the point. Cause it's an important one. It's okay. not just that the, the crimes are viewed differently. It's that sexual assault and sexual coercion is much, 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 much more common than murder. So, like, yeah. I have friends that came from war-torn countries. And, you know, somebody that had to escape uh, Somalia in a boat and got shot in the leg. And somebody else who got chased, uh, you know, out of a Kurdish village and whose sibling died during the harrowing journey thereafter. I don't invite those people to play, come over and play Call of Duty. Like, you do, there are indeed other crimes and other scenarios you also need to be sensitive of, and you shouldn't sit down and just table whatever and assume that people are going to be cool with it. Like, there's a there's a game that I used to love when I was 20 called uh, called Lunch Money, which is just about, like, bullies. It's like a, it's a brutal card game where you're just beating up other little kids and all the, like, pictures on the cards are little kids crying, like, photo reel. <laughs> and it, I thought it was hilarious at the time. But I wouldn't want to table that against. It's a I wouldn't want to table that against somebody who had been fucking beat up as a child repeatedly. Like that's terrible. It's just insensitive right. and ignorant. And there's the as though that game is mechanically fun. I own a lot of other games that I could table to that cost me nothing to switch what I'm doing, and might mean everything to that person that during that night of gaming. It's important to remember that. None of our, the, the specifics, the particulars of our games are important. What's important is the gathering. So you want to make the gathering as welcoming as possible if you want to build the game and if you want your play group to stay in good graces with each other. 
Yes, I would agree that it, it's really if if you're tempted to play the Negan commander, just proxy the damn thing. And so that no one has to deal with that crap. That's actually a totally solid idea. Like, just call it yeah. like Mardu block runner, whatever. Yeah, just Mardu's sacrifice lord or whatever. Sure. Whatever. It's good enough. Uh, and, and you can still get to play with the abilities or whatever. If you think it's cool, and, keep it in the and, closet with your other Nazi paraphernalia and roll. You know, on the, on the, uh, as a carry on, a ride on to this, this has definitely been in production for like, this has been in the pipe for a while. And with all of these major organizations, not just Hasbro and Wizards, but everybody reacting to both the, the Black Lives Matter movement more recently and sort of the, the, the Me Too unit or unit movement that's been going on for, I don't know, two years now. More than that. Three years. Yeah. To still, to still like willingly put this product on the table is just sort of mind boggling. Like it's, it's, we have seen time and time again, Wizards amazingly tone deaf um, and clueless responses to cultural issues. Uh, It's real real simple. The whole place is run by old white guys. They, when they bring in diversity hires, they often end up leaving because they feel like they've been tokenized. And that doesn't seem to be changing or getting fixed. So these kinds of problems are going to continue to come up. Yes. It just, it's just such a obvious error. Like why, why, why did you continue? Why did you choose to put this character? Not even just, if it was just a card, it would be a little less obnoxious, but the fact that it's a legendary creature. So it becomes the banner, the face of this commander deck is even more egregious uh i just because eh. because it's gonna get gross the the dudes that are super into this character are gonna build the deck out to be themed all negan yeah. they're, they're gonna pick a bunch of scantily clad female magic players and put them in the deck yeah. like there's so and many there's so many bad and trepanation blade and not everybody's gonna do that but people that do are just going to make it like just going to take it to a whole other level of dumb like when none of it needs to exist there's plenty of cool characters in the show that aren't negan and and i and people were like yeah but negan's like a really popular character yeah you're supposed to love to hate him you're not supposed to emulate him and if you've been spending the your time watching the walking dead or reading the comics thinking how you want to be negan or you would join negan's team you need to spend a hard long night in front of the mirror having a talk with yourself because i'm sorry but anybody who spent enough time with that literature knows that's not the team you're supposed to be rooting for well i mean i again i didn't watch the show i saw the clip spoiler alert if you're three years behind on the walking dead but in the tv show isn't his very first appearance to bash glenn's head in with a bat yeah like but that's the thing is that the, but the mer- my point being, shouldn't it be very clear that you're not supposed to be rooting from this guy? Well, like, yeah, from yeah, the yeah. moment oh, he walks oh, for the screen. sure. Now, later he has he's given redemptive moments in the show. And people tried to hold that up as like, this is a redemption arc. Oh, fuck you. Just because the writers decide to give a popular character some redemptive moments because they think it's good for their ratings does not mean that he's excused of his previous acts. That's not how it works. And it also, and yeah. most importantly, it doesn't change the potential for triggering. It's not like 
some poor person who's been through sexual assault that encounters Negan at a commander table is going to think to themselves, well, I would be triggered here. I, I would be having a panic attack out of nowhere that I wasn't expecting. But the thing is, you know, in season seven, they, he really had that nice moment with that kid. <laughs> mm. Who cares, man? Like, just give us... There was so many other good characters they could have dropped on the table. It, it's, it's not okay to... Like, it, it's no different than if you said, okay, canon, change to canon in the next set. Jace rapes Liliana. Oh, Jace, and there's a black Jace now. And that's how the Gatewatch breaks up. No one's going to allow that. We're not going to, we're not going to let them give us rapey Jace as a card. You, you mean like, uh, black magic black. Yeah, yeah. Like that that like, he's okay. yeah, that he's turned card for yeah, that they black. that they turn it into a black card and, and he's evil Jace and the mechanism by which that happened was he raped another character. None of us would stand for that. No one would allow that to be canon. The 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 community went ape shit when they backed off the, the lesbian love affair between Nyssa and Chandra for Christ's sake. So there's no way any of us want the actual canon to include a rapist. For obvious reasons. You can assume that there are many brutal evil characters that might do that in the game, but you don't ever explicitly state it because there's no upside and there's only downside. The same rules apply here. This is like marketing 101 stuff. You don't, (laughs) in your property that is supposed to be welcoming to all, you don't need to include elements that, that challenge the darkest side of humanity. Yes, you need to have foils for the heroes you need nickel bolas is there but they don't spend six cards telling us about how nickel bolas enslaved six female dragons in a basement and chained them up yeah it's 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 just so it's so absolutely clueless and uh, willfully ignorant uh, uh really because it's not like this was uh, it, it just seems so obvious immediately like i don't know anything about the walking dead but you're like this is the what Re- Negan does in the comics. I'm like, oh, why is this a card? Like, I, I totally got it instantly. And you're telling me nobody from Wizards is like familiar with this character, and, like knows and, what he and, does, and nobody. And so many Twitter goofs were coming at me with the like, he makes sure they they give him permission, and it's like you don't yeah. understand the, the the first. Like, it's like it's yeah. like we're having that, you know conversations at a grade six level, like us. There was none of that was in good faith. None of it's in good faith. It's if you agree for in in any way with the fact that Noah Bradley owed the community an apology, Negan is way worse than Noah Bradley. Negan is like Noah Bradley when you give him like venom juice. Like it's it's crazy to me that people don't immediately adults don't immediately snap to how this wouldn't be okay. Well, the people who are arguing with you are. Yeah, arguing in bad faith or uh, just ignorant. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all right, so we, we've hit this nail on the head. Uh, I would also go so far as to point out that you know, this is this is a similar topic, and I think, you, so we're, we're going to change gears a little bit just because I feel like we've, we've covered that base. It's disgusting, and I can't believe Wizards would do it. Neither of us can. I hate this licensing crap. It's garbage. I mean, and it's getting worse every time. Like the Transformers cards and the, you know, the, the My Little Pony, like those are already Hasbro licenses. Same with Dungeons and Dragons. They did those at, um, you know, the one time event. They weren't great, but like whatever, they're fine. Godzilla was amusing, but 
not excellent, but at least it felt a little more adjacent to magic. But like these look like shit. It's not really a, a meaningful or relevant crossover other than we think people are might be interested in both. Um, it, I, I, it just, it's just getting worse and worse. And I hate the way that it has so dramatically changed the face of the game at the same time. I'm not worried as worried about it because I don't think that it is in the mainstream of the game yet. I think that this game is big enough and has enough longevity that it can easily roll over some of these little divergent brand uh you know challenges i think the godzilla thing is was a lot better than the walking dead because our game includes a bunch of big monsters anyway and in fact when i was originally opening ikoria packs i was often confused as to whether i was looking at art that was godzilla licensed or art that was uh showcase for the uh companions because for stuff like Gairuda, the Gairuda art and the Godzilla art were not so far apart. And so it didn't feel like it was very divergent for the brand. That's a nice little tie-in. Likewise, next summer's first ever licensed set in standard, the D&D set, is a long time coming. They own both properties. You can argue they are in many ways very, very similar. They, they are both heavily leaning on classic fantasy tropes, largely derived from classic fairy tales and Lord of the Rings and so forth. And that's going to work out just fine, too. Walking Dead is a much bigger push. And again, I tabled the concept that they should have brought the characters into our world and not the other way around. Um, because they, they just look like bad fan-made things now if they were going to do these monthly and it was going to be the walking dead and then it was going to be uh i think it was i don't know if it was still carrie or somebody else that put out the one for uh what's that comedy show with the nerds big bang theory Big Bang Theory. yeah there, somebody was it was not him but it was his type of work yeah somebody was floating a big bang theory soul ring or something um yeah adam adam something or other yeah so, I mean, if they were doing th- this stuff monthly, yeah, it would it would start to pile up. There was a cardboard crack comic issued almost immediately where it was like, magic, two years in the future, my Harry Potter attacks your Glenn, yeah. and then this and that and the other. And there is degradation of your IP, your intellectual property, when you all you do is licensing. So if you look, and, and the thing here is that it's actually kind of surprising magic has taken this long. Because almost everything else Hasbro does is licensed up the yin yang. Like Monopoly has sixty different versions or something. Because oh, they, I'd be surprised if it was only that. Many. Yeah, I mean they they just take whatever the latest thing is. Like for sure, there's a Walking Dead Monopoly. Like I don't even have to look it up. I guarantee you it exists. Um, and if it doesn't yet, it would. So, you know, it's it's actually amazing that they held back for this long. I agree with you that I think that it it takes away from the experience a little bit. I think that, you know, your comment earlier on Twitter this week about, you know, being nostalgic for the very self-contained singular look and feel of the game in the mid nineties is, is a legit reaction. Like if you've been around that long, 
this kind of branching off of a bunch of different uh, aesthetics and tones for the game is a little jolting and will get worse over time, especially in Commander, their core format, where they should really um, put a lot of time and effort into thinking around how to curate that experience. But from their perspective on the marketing side, they look at it as, as we have never known how to grow the, play, grow the player base intentionally. A lot of the time when they've experienced major bumps in player base, it has almost seemed accidental. You know, they, yeah. they had a third party pitch them on Duels of the Planeswalkers. Uh, that went well, took off on iPad, etc. And they pulled in a whole bunch of players over the next two years. Um, and so forth and so on. They've basically every time there's a boon of players, it's not because of something Wizards did intentionally. Yeah. So so it's not surprising to me that they look at these licensing, you know, things, you know, where they did the anime planeswalkers and the Japanese war packs, and then Godzilla, and then Walking but, Dead as opportunities to maybe lure over some folks from those those overlapping Venn diagrams and get them into the mix. I, I understand how the decisions get made. Uh, and I also agree with you that it is shocking uh, that it took them this long to do it, which I think to me speaks to somebody in Wizards having put their foot down for a long time. Yeah, I agree. And said, we are we are keeping this pure. Um, and someone lost the battle a couple of years ago. And it has just been a downhill slope from there, unfortunately. Uh, and it, it cheapens the whole game. And the new the new the various frame treatments like i like the original frame the most and now we have the new frame and like whatever i I get that that's i don't like it but like i don't feel like that's not magic but this stuff feels like you've lost you you, you've really sold an element of the game away um and again it's one of those once you once you open that can of worms you know once you open pandora's box it's just gonna keep getting worse and Godzilla at least felt like it fit, but this is just so far off. And given all of the other behaviors we've seen out of Wizards, where they don't seem uh, inclined, where they seem to be making decisions more for the short term than the long term, I don't have faith that this is going to be handled well or responsibly going forward. Seems like it's just going to be done with a heavier and heavier hand and feel grosser and grosser. I do wonder whether we, we're going to see that Star Wars standard set in the next three years. Um, some people will be very excited about that prospect. I think I'm fine with it. Could see someone like you not being into that at all. And it is there is a jarring aesthetic for sure. If you're playing a mix of Stormtroopers and Elves, that, that is does degrade the visual unity of your game like i, like I, I, I think you can make a star wars magic set and it will be excellent i think that's very possible but i think there's definitely something to be said for mixing those cards with fantasy cards and that being a very awkward experience especially since it's going to be star wars plus magic plus my little pony plus grimlock plus the walking dead Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if you caught one of my tweets. I said, how many cards are away are we from a fully licensed EDH deck? That's a good question. Uh, That's a very good question. Uh, I think that... I 
like I want to say that there is a, de- a, a okay way to do that, and I, my 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 initial reaction is to say it's a it's silver border. Like, sure, do a Star Wars like a a do a an entire three hundred and sixty cards like uh, reskin of an existing set, or like basically make modern some form of like modern masters remastered or something, but all of reprints of existing magic cards, but just theme them star Wars uh, or, or do it silver border. I don't know, but I like the idea. I don't mind it existing in like in a physical form. I just don't like it when it it's fine to mix it with normal magic cards is where it starts to feel really gross. And again, it's star Wars feels kind of close, but at the same time, Walking Dead feels so far away, which might be part of what makes it feel so bad. Um, Star Wars is also much more timeless at this point, right? It's been 50 years and it's still popular. Uh, but Walking Dead is like, you know, okay, how long's the comic been out? Like, I don't know, maybe a decade-ish, a little less than that. TV shows, several years. I mean, the Big Bang Theory is like, ugh, like you're closer to that than you think. And that just would feel awful. Um I, I yeah, it just feels so bad. I, I I don't blame as a designer. I certainly can't blame anybody who embraces a unified aesthetic for the game that they love. Like some of my favorite games, one of their biggest features is their unified aesthetic. Like Kingdom Death is a very specific aesthetic and mood, and it doesn't doesn't appeal to everybody. Um, and I don't want My Little Pony characters in Kingdom Death <laughs> like at all I want the same group of people that are designing the game to always design that game I want all the stuff to, to have that same look and so that the uh, mood and ambiance of playing that game by candlelight is maintained there, there mm-hmm. are very there are reasons that you need designers to make great games because they contribute something that's very important it's not just that they give you a picture to remind you of what the card does. It's also that they help set a bunch of emotional levers for the people that are playing. And as you diversify those, those tones and uh, touch points, you will lead yourself to a, a, a fractured experience. So I, I don't mind if they do this stuff every once in a while, because ultimately this... You know, if, if we accept that a lot of this stuff is that EDH is what magic's all about now and that EDH playgroups are fully capable of self-regulating, you know, my, my playgroup's just not going to play Negan, period. Because anybody who doesn't understand what Negan's about, I'm just going to explain it up front and they're all adults and they will immediately agree with me. And, you know, if there was a Star Wars set and somebody wanted to bring a Star Wars deck to the table it would annoy me aesthetically a little but i would totally be fine with that because i don't care enough to try to interfere with their fun and so i think that because commander is self-regulating in that way you can just not invite the guy that you know is bringing the deck you don't like (laughs) and you will so that's fine it it felt cool when these types of breaks were ultra rare like the uh what's his name Who's the guy that made it? Richard Garfield, like the Garfield personal cards. For, like for his wedding. Genesis. And the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, or the robot chicken card of which there were like six. 
or the 1996 World Champion, like, or Shijifuki Jin Dragon. Those were cool because they were so rare and special that they were fun deviations. But at this point, it just feels so dirty, <laughs> right? It's just such a cash in, just of the worst kind. And it's no, no. This was not done with love and care, and it was. This was done by marketing guys who are creaming their pants over how many copies of this they're going to sell, and I hope they rot in hell. But uh, moving beyond that, I guess the last question here is whether it's worth buying them. And I, I suspect I, many people will buy them. It's going to be a very popular set, so that means the bottom's going to fall out on it when it arrives. Part of what will be interesting here is whether there's a bonus and what that bonus might be, because uh, we don't know what the the world beyond stained glass planeswalkers looks like yet. Uh, if they throw, you know, ex- non foil expedition fetches in there, like non foil expeditions in there, <laughs> that, that's certainly going to get people's attention. Um, I don't want to buy this product because I don't want I don't want fucking Negan. Like I don't, I don't want to pay them for Negan. If if I could buy this product, if I could pay ten dollars more to buy this product and have them remove the Negans from my product before they sent it to me, I would do that. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's that's a separate question, uh, and I don't think that's an unfair question, for sure. And uh, now, now I so I suspect what's going to happen here is first of all, we haven't seen all of them yet. We've only seen what four of them. Uh, We've seen. I thought that the token was the last one but maybe not. okay if, if that's true like then it's negan i don't know negan I don't michonne daryl and glenn and the walker tokens that i i thought that's i could be wrong i don't know i didn't actually look at the product page that might not be it. That, that's entirely possible that could be correct the so if that's the whole thing then i i don't see any hugely disruptive cards in that mix i see playable edh cards maybe glenn's playable in legacy but whatever no one's playing legacy anyway so i think that this stuff is going to be real cheap when it's populous and then three years out these are going to be these are going to make people a bunch of money because (laughs) people will buy like bricks of 20 or 30 on them get caught sitting on them for a while and then they will eventually drain out and they will make the functional reprints but you'll never be able to get the walking dead versions again and we'll be on here talking about how glenn went from like $11 $11 at his low to 38 or something. I, I, I do suspect that they might sell a good chunk of these, especially since it's for sale for a week. But I wonder how many of those will disappear basically forever because there are people who buy them because they really like the walking dead and they just are not going to go anywhere. You know, it's like maybe they'll sell 50,000 copies, but are 25,000 of those just going to be gone? Well, yeah, but if that if that's the assessment and other vendors agree with us, then the same thing that we've seen with other like obviously good secret layers is going to happen. People are going to buy 10, 20, 40 units. Vendors are going to going to snap off 200 at a time. They're just going to go for their total maxes. Oh, maybe. Oh. So that, I guess I, now it's possible some people will be you know scared off by the negan thing it's possible some people will be uh scared off by the community's reaction to them being exclusives it's it's possible like i get i tell you who you don't want to be you don't want to be mtg finance dot guy who shows up on twitter the day after the bottom drops out on these and tries to flip sets 
at like double or something because <laughs> whatever hatred was already associated with this set from whichever angle too much licensing insensitive about negan they're exclusive for two and available for too short a period of time take your pick whatever they normally what kind of lightning bolts they throw at scalpers normally you're going to get twice as much of that on this product i mean that alone makes me not want to buy it yeah i i i'm a little more optimistic about the outcome of these um i think they probably do a little bit better than that uh mostly because i think plenty of them probably disappear and i think people will probably end up under i mean every secret layer has done well so far not every uh most several several of them have so others have been stalled and aren't going anywhere i i think the cards are better and more widely applicable than you're giving them credit for so that's kind of my position and there could be people down the road. I, yeah, I, I I like it more than you. I don't know how much more I like it than you. So I don't know. If you're super into Walking Dead, I guess they're probably fine as a pickup. Like the worst case scenario is you get to have them for yourself or whatever. Um, you can crack them and play with them and then sell the singles down the road. My advice is this. Skip this product. Pick, pick whichever the three major complaints are that, that appeals to you. <laughs> Use that as your excuse. There are plenty of other opportunities. It will it it will achieve in some small part the goal of sending wizards one of the right messages here. Well, that that was that was kind of where the other thought I was going to share is like, well, I guess there are multiple reasons not to buy it, and there are plenty of other places to spend your money, yep. and you could just not buy it, and then that way you don't have to feel bad about Take- it, and you still can spec on stuff. Of course more people do that well and and it's even more and more profitable to buy it but and i mean for yeah you can just go buy foil force of vigors and you'll be just fine and you're gonna get another opportunity on these anyway like i don't want negan's but i'm totally fine with glenn glenn's a hero character lots of good things about glenn everybody loves glenn so i don't mind buying some glenn's and selling some glenn's yeah if 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 it turns out glenn is an important card and and the stats look right six months from now sure the problem is, I think Negan's the best card in the set. <laughs> yeah, I don't want. To... I think I, I think Glenn is possibly legacy viable, but I think Glenn is like legit, or Negan is legitimately playable in in EDH and Cube. All right, we should wrap things up here. We've uh, yeah, we talk, really should. About the zombies long enough, and we are some now. Uh, let's see, where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com, and I am always hanging out in the ProTrader Discord, even when I'm supposed to be working. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the aforementioned MGGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super, super duper active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. 
Which brings us to the end of episode 239. It was, as always, a good episode, and I will see you again next week. Thank you, Travis. Thanks to all of you. We will see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.